1: everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. Broadcasting on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM, from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And we've got another patch show for you this week, our third show in the space of eight days. I'm sure you're probably sick of listening to us, no no, of course, of course you're not, but there's just so much to talk about right now, and we're we're gonna cover a lot of things in this show. we're gonna be talking white caps m l s Canadian national team at senior and under twenty three level, lots of stuff to get into, but we're we're gonna kick things off with kind of following on from last week's show, and we're gonna be opening some more Christmas presents now, first off. As luck would have it, your Christmas presents arrived on Tuesday, a couple of days after we recorded the show. So I'm going to make sure that I drop them off for you guys in time for our live video that we're doing for the season opener. So you'll have them for that and we can open it on our next live YouTube one. But what we are going to do is we're going to be opening or continuing to open Steve's presents. Unless Zach has caved in and already opened them all. Nope, we're holding them up. Yes. So if anyone missed last week's show, uh, Steve gave us a whole box of 2011 upper deck soccer cards to tie in with the 10th anniversary of the Whitecaps' first ever match in MLS. My first pack, I got a Dwayne De Rosario jersey card. I mean, what could be better than that? I, I guess an Eric Hasley card? Because I used to have an Eric Hasley card. And then I you, still a sack. you still do. will <laughs> do. Right, let's get these open. It's always good to to open stuff on my,
2: the. Steve but Kirk is so excited about these. He's busy oh. right now. Otherwise, he wants to come on the show and open. Them. Oh no! Oh. oh no! I don't.
1: I only have to open that much. And it? What is oh. It's Roger Levesque from the Flounders. I see. I got two flounders cards last week, and my very first one in this pack. It's something I love on a Saturday night which is when we're recording this Bush John Bush San Jose Earthquakes and then I have a Mike Chabala Houston Dynamo oh. well That's my cool. my Saunders card for this pack Steve Zakuani oh
2: do you remember that rap thing he did on the commercial for MLS
1: Oh, no, I just just had a horrible feeling he had a stutter there and you were taking the piss out of him. So it's good to know that he did a rap, so that's
2: good. It was like back in the day on MLS Live, they had like their own ads or whatever, and his ad was like on all the time. No, I don't. Um, Heimson Olave from Real Salt Lake, defender. you might remember him. Well, I've
1: got a Colorado Rapid, Makumba Kanji. Oh, what the heck is this? I don't know what this is. Oh.
2: Oh wait! Oh, this oh okay now I know what this is. It's I didn't recognize the logo. I thought it was a college. Okay, this is uh, Enola Aluko from Sky Blue FC in the W, the W League. Whoops, the W League, the Women's uh, League.
3: Yeah, there's some Women's League cards yeah. in there too. Oh wow! That's why I was saying know. like uh I think an autograph Mia Hamm or a, autograph oh, Abby yeah. Wambach or might be the most expensive cards in there.
1: Oh oh my next one you're all gonna love. Well, I've got Chicago, Patrick Niarko. Oh, yeah, I remember We're, him. we're holding these up to the screen, listeners. So <laughs> okay. I'm sure um, you're enjoying
2: I this. Got, I got, uh, I think this is his regular card,
1: Golden Balls. Oh. David Beckham. If you go to Miami and get me signed, sign that, <laughs> you, just say you're going for spring break. Apparently, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I have New England goalkeeper. This is a, a goalkeeper pack. Matt Rice. Oh, Matt Reese. Reese Rice. Yeah, Reese. My last one is the a guy who
2: many uh, think played a massive role in uh, Toronto winning their MLS Cup and making their first two, I think, MLS Cups. Uh, an MLS lifer, center back, Drew Moore. Oh, oh
3: while well, he was good, Colorado. Well, he's with Colorado, while he was with Colorado, I think he well, won a cup with them too.
2: Yeah, that's him holding up the trophy yeah. there for 2010 when he won in Toronto against. Was it not Dallas? Was it Dallas? Yeah, it was Dallas.
1: Yeah, he he's a guy that genuinely I would have liked the Whitecaps to make a play for at various points when he it looked like he might be available and stuff. But well, my last Roger, card, Roger Levesque. Roger Levesque. I just remember the abuse he got at Swan Guard. Oh yeah, yeah. My last card, is a TFC player, but Canadian. Nana Atacora. This this they, are they, superb, Steve. It's like I'm loving these. Gifts that the keep fun, on giving.
3: Yeah. The funny thing is I recognise most of the more players here
1: than I would if we were opening up twenty twenty one packs. <laughs> I agree, I agree. You know what? That's yeah. Saying. But anyway, folk haven't tuned in to hear us opening cards. Or maybe they have. Maybe we could do a whole a whole show on that. Because there's thirty four more packs to open. We're going to get into talking about current MLS and current Whitecaps stuff. First couple of parts of the show, we're going to be looking at the Whitecaps, some MLS News of the Week, stuff like that. And I guess the big talking point this week is that the full schedule is finally out. Now, the Whitecaps, they've got a very tough 34-game season ahead of them. 32 matches are against Western Conference opposition. With Austin coming in, Nashville are staying in the East, so it's 13 teams in the West, 14 in the East. The Whitecaps will play Seattle and Portland three times. They will also play the Galaxy, LAFC, Houston and Minnesota three times, and all the other Western teams twice. They'll play two Eastern teams, and it's their two fellow displaced Canadian foes from Toronto and Montreal, and those games are the second and fourth games of the season. Now, we'll get into a little bit more about the schedule in a sec, but this caught me by surprise because we were kind of led to believe it was going to be a more kind of balanced schedule and that there was going to be just a, a regular schedule with lots of travel. I'm actually glad it's not, and I'm glad that they're not having to fly out east, risk more COVID exposures, everything like that, keeping it all in the west. The downside of that, of course, is it makes it much, much tougher because there's, some, there's there's no easy games in there at all. Even even looking at a new team like Austin, there's just no easy games.
2: Yeah, Cucuramene is Austin, uh, uh, Aztecs, as I'll call them. Yeah, um, I've got a
1: chance to, to speak to him this week, but we'll bring you that in a future show.
2: Um, Michael, I noticed as you listed off some highlights in the schedule, you failed to recognize the one that I'm most excited about on the calendar. It's match day two, or sorry, match day three. Of the preseason,
1: as the Whitecaps take on last week's guest Gershon Kofi in Martin Rennie's Indie Eleven. Yes, let's hope he doesn't kick anyone. Maybe, maybe this will be him playing to get a new a new Whitecaps deal. I mean, what, what do you make of it, Steve? I mean, it, it's tough. We, we've got six Cascadian derbies, which has taken us back a few seasons, but we, we had that in the past.
3: Yeah, I uh, I think that's just there. It's a workaround for this year. And until eventually all the other MLS teams. But I see, even in the future, we'll see a lot more. The majority of games will be against Western opponents. It's good to see them that they they do have a lot of the home games uh, in the last half of the season, though. Yeah. Or especially in the last little bit, because uh, that, that should help out, especially if it does open up here.
1: We kind of talked about that on previous shows and Axel kind of, when we had our sit-down chat with him, kind of alluded that that was what they were hoping for. And I haven't had a look at TFC's schedule, but I did look at Montreal's today and they don't have as many home games in the, in the second half of the season. But the the Whitecaps, it's weighted in the hope that they're going to get back to BC place. Three months in Utah is what they're kind of scheduling for just now, with the hope that they can maybe get back to to playing games here, not necessarily with fans, but to actually be playing games on on, on home turf at BC Place. So that might be around the start of August. Looking at the schedule, 13 of the last 17 games are at home, 7 of the last 11, which could be huge if they're back in Vancouver for those. They round off the season on November 7th at home to Seattle. Now it it's gonna be good in some ways to have homestands, stuff like that. It makes the first half of the season a little bit gruelling. There's a spell where there's four away games in a row, although there is a, a break in between those. It also means we're maybe not getting that advantage of the altitude in, in Salt Lake that we were kind of maybe looking forward to. There's still, of course, no guarantee that they're going to be back in Canada for the second half of the season, but it, it, it's something to cling on to, at least just now for the players and, and everyone involved with the team.
2: Yeah, it, it's interesting. Yeah, they have, they're have during their three months it's Salt Lake, they're playing four games there and then seven on the road. And I think we've talked about this in pre- previous season because the MLS schedule is never a proper one. It's never balanced. It's never done like some leagues uh, around the world are done. And so... The Whitecaps have gone into seasons before where they've had a favourable schedule at the end of the season, but the, shall we say, unfavourable schedule at the beginning of the season has really hindered them and made some of those games at the end of the year meaningless and useless. Yeah. Um, So um, one of the... That's the
1: the worry again with so many players not even at training camp just now.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. And and yeah, so it just, it feels like uh, this first, the first half of the year, or the first three months of the year, of the season for them will be like just trying to do well enough so that at the end of the year uh, they can, you know, uh, try and have a
1: go in the run-in. So I got a chance you... to to ask MDS on Wednesday when the the schedule came out just for his quick initial thoughts on it. Here's what he had to tell me. Finally got the the full schedule out. I think it's maybe not what a lot of us were expecting. There's no games uh, against Eastern Conference teams uh, apart from the, the two can- Canadian sides. Y- you're pleased with how it, it plays out. It looks very tough all against Western teams, but you must be happy with the reduced travel aspect of it all.
4: Yeah, you, you know, you're in the Western division and when you're in the Western division... You have to get ready to play uh, against uh, your the teams in your division. Um, it is a hard schedule, of course. We we know we're playing three times uh, in a, a demanding one, um, but at the same time, I I think our focus right now, especially in the the, the first four games that we're focusing on, um, the 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 opener against Portland, the tri- the trip to. Orlando to play um, to play Toronto uh, and then the two games again uh, in Salt Lake against Colorado and Montreal. Then one of the other things that is important and, and crucial for us and exciting is that we look at the schedule uh, after July and 13 home games. Uh, we hope and we hope those games, will be played at BC Place. Of course, it's still all in the air and out of our control. But I think that's one of the positive things of the schedule is the, to have the hope that we could maybe play 13 home games in BC Place, uh, depending how things um, pan out with the, the pandemic.
1: Looking at the the summer schedule, July in particular, I was just trying to quickly work it out there. It looks like we've got seven games during when the gold cup is on that looks like it's going to be a particularly brutal time of the year for a club with so many canadian internationals
4: it is brutal because you you always want to play the games with all of your best players available um and when you play uh games uh, during a competition that is international and the league doesn't stop it's a challenge uh, but it's a challenge also for the other teams that are going to have players um, in different competitions and in the Gold Cup. But um, we're we're now working because we just got the schedule today, and we're now now working on where the games are, when we're going to be missing players, uh, who's going to be available, um, and we're we're looking at all of that right now.
5: About the. Uh length and number of international breaks and how do you think that's going to factor into the the regular
2: season?
4: We're in a different world right now. You know, we're we're catching up uh, in a lot of things. And the the CONCACAF and the national teams have to catch up because of 2020 and the pandemic. And uh, this year we feel we need good depth more than any other year before. Um, because of the schedule I was I was I was laughing with Lucas we were talking before he left to the national team and we we spoke about man this year you might play more games for Canada than for the Whitecaps it's just the schedule how it's made and of course it's a, it's a concern because any coach in the world is going to tell you that he always wants to have all of his best players in the roster to play every game. But that's why we're working on depth. That's why we're working on having at least two very good players in each position, making sure that we have guys that could fill in when there's international breaks, because our reality is due to these breaks, there's no, gonna, there's no stopping. We're still going to have to play, and it's the way it is, and we have to have everybody ready for that.
1: So MDS there, talking just a little bit uh, about the schedule. I mean, as he says there, they're in the Western Conference. They know they have to play Western teams. They know that's going to be tough. But I I think he will be happy that he doesn't have to be flying to the likes of New York or Ohio for some games, Philly, stuff like that. It's a grueling schedule, no matter what. Having LAFC three times is a a bit of a a skirm, judging by how we've played against them, especially on the road before. But it's a weird schedule as well, because there's a lot of breaks for the international calendar, but the breaks are coming at a little bit of a strange time, and there is a possibility that the summer could absolutely kill us because of international call-ups. Now, there's a bizarre 27-day break at the end of May into late June. And that's for the FIFA World Cup window. So in that window, Canada will have their final two group games in the the first round of qualifying. And then if everything goes according to plan, you're going to be expecting them probably to be playing a two-legged game against Haiti. So it's giving them a lot of chance to prepare for that. That's fantastic. Ali Adnan's going to be a away a with Iraq as well. We'll come to that in a, in a sec. We're we'll, we'll just going kind to of focus on the Canadian aspect just now. So that's great. They've got that break in June. There's a small break in July during the Gold Cup. I think it's like a 10-day a, a break for the month-long tournament, a tournament that you're hoping Canada's going to go deep in. So they're going to be there for a while and there's a good chance that there'll be a, a lot of white caps called up for that tournament for for Canada as well. Now, I mean that's like a double-edged sword really for, for the caps. When it when it comes to Canadian internationals as I kind of mentioned to to MDS there, it's it's great to have them. It's great to develop them and help the national team program. But then they can all be a away at once. So the Gold Cup runs from July 2nd to August 1st. They've got that 10-day break, as I mentioned. But the Whitecaps have seven scheduled MLS matches during the month of the Gold Cup. So if Canada were to, say, get to the final, even the semi-finals, those players are going to miss seven games, which, I mean, it could be brutal. That said, if you look at the starting lineup or the expected starting lineup for the Whitecaps, if they're at full strength, it might only be two starters that are away in Crepon and Cava. It's going to be tough.
3: I think the there is a chance that they have two different squads and they possibly do the the you know the A squad against for the qualifiers and the B squad for the Gold Cup, knowing that in this case the qualifiers are more important. And I don't think they keep a uh, the same players for two months that that's highly unlikely for me
1: yeah i i think that as well it's john Herman's kind of hinted at that before Th- these games that we've just seen uh against the cayman islands or bermuda it's given Herman the chance to call a few of these guys in to, to have a look at them see how they might do and you might see a lot of these guys feature in the gold cup you might see the likes of to St. Ricketts, Russell Tybert called up instead, which would still be blows to the Whitecaps, but yeah. not missing starters.
2: Yeah, the, the problem, though, when you talk about that, Steve, is, yeah, what I was going to say is that the, the B team for Canada is like MLS-type play type players, which is, would, could be really bad for the Whitecaps.
3: No, I'm thinking about, like, it's like, I, I think the current squad, uh, minus a few, because there are um, players that weren't able to make this last couple of games, uh, they 'll join like Jonathan david and others um and that drops people down to the lower lower squad so I think it's the u twenty three basically could be playing at the gold cup at this point
1: yeah i mean when you look at the current thing you 've got like joe waterman's in the in the squad for for these two world cup qualifiers he looks like a guy that you might call up instead for the the gold cup because he might yeah. then not feature for the the world cup qualifiers in june so I, I guess we'll have to wait and and see that but the World Cup qualifiers in June. It's obviously not just CONCACAF that that's going to be affected for that. Now, Ali Adnan, it's an interesting situation with Ali because the Asian qualifying has kind of been put on hold. So what they've done to finish the group stages is end of May into June. They are having like hosts for each group. It's kind of like a bubble for each group, and they're going to be finishing off the the qualifications for that round of matches there. So Iraq's going to be based out of Bahrain. They've still got, I think, three, maybe four matches to, to go in their group. They're top of the group just now. So he's going to be away pretty much all of June. We still don't know. They might still be quarantined by that time when he comes back and stuff. But he should be at least available for July, which would be good if, for example, Christian Gutierrez was was called up for the, for the Gold Cup, which is a, a very likely possibility as well. But I, I got a chance to... To have a little chat with Ali this week. Just asked him about uh, the, the World Cup qualifiers in Iraq and a, a few other things just around Iraqi football and how much he's enjoying playing with Christian Gutierrez on that left-hand side of the park. Here's what Ali had to tell me. It's strange qualification for Iraq at the moment because you're having these centralised games in June in Bahrain to finish the group. How do you feel the qualification has gone so far? You're top of the group but then I guess it's going to be a really tough and gruelling campaign later in the year when you get to the next round. How are you going to be able, do you feel, to juggle playing with the White Caps, travelling, playing with Iraq?
6: It's actually a good question. Uh, it's been like so hard for me as a player to tr- travel from here to go all the way to Middle East. It's like each one of you guys knows, like so far away, especially you have to de- be there like two days before the first game. It's going to be very difficult. That's why I'm preparing from now. If it's possible and like the schedule looks good with Whitecaps, so I can join the national team like a like couple days earlier than the first game, So that's going to help me and give me more time to be with the national team. And yeah, uh, we are in the first round. I think it's hard as a group. We have a hard group. We have Bahrain and Iran. It's two uh, uh, really good teams. And they are also like, we are very close to each other. I think it's going to be difficult for each team of us. But I think we have a big opportunity to be in the top and finish the group in the top. Uh, especially when you're going to be in the Middle East, better you're traveling like each game. Uh, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be like three games in Bahrain. And as a player, what I feel, I think we can finish on the top. I hope so.
1: Now, the, the Asian qualifying, it's always tough because you've got Japan, you've got Korea, you've got Australia in there. With everything that the country has been through, what would it mean to you personally to be able to help lead Iraq to a World Cup?
6: It's mean for me a lot, actually. I was trying to be in the World Cup, like not just me, actually, it's like most of the players we play for a long time. I play like since I was young in the national team, like I play a long time with the national team. Me and a couple of players, we are still playing for the national team. It's every time we're trying our best to be in the World Cup, but you know, the situation happened in Iraq and everything, it's a little bit kind of very difficult for us. And as you said, like we have many good teams in Asia and we have limited teams, they can go to World Cup. So we don't have enough. I think it's tough for every team in Asia to be in the World Cup right now, especially this year, the situation is different than before. I think we're going to be all of us very close to each other and who's the team like most fighting, who's the team has better player, they're gonna make the final.
1: The domestic league in Iraq, obviously with the the wars and everything, it kind of disrupted things there for a while, but how is the game back in Iraq at club level? Is it getting stronger? Are you seeing a good amount of young players starting to come through for the country now? Uh,
6: This is the difference is now, if you saw the national team Iraq, it's different than national team like a couple of years ago. Most of the players, we have younger players. Uh, I think, yeah, we do have a good league right now. If I'm going to tell you like the last five years, I'm going to choose this year is the one of the best. We have it because we're going to come back. Again, situation is not that good before. We have so many things going on over there. And uh, right now, I think it's very good situation. It's like let's put COVID on the side right now. The league is going without fans, without nothing. I think most of the team there, they do have really good player and young player. In the future, they're going to be like very important players. That's what I see in the league. And when I go back, I train with a couple teams there and I saw them. So I think we're going to have a good team also. We're going to have joint player, young player very soon for the national team too.
1: We spoke to Christian Gutierrez a couple of weeks ago. And he said how much he enjoyed playing with you on the left side of the park and the, the dynamic that the two of you had and you play well together. Now, I I know you've spoken before, you prefer left back to left wing, but can you maybe talk a little bit just about the relationship you have with Christian and just what your kind of playing style is like with you both on the pitch at the same time?
6: The relationship is very bad. <laughs> I'm
1: just kidding no he's
6: he's he's an amazing person i like him so much as a person and he's a really good player i think uh this guy he's gonna be like something in the future that's what i what i see if he take care of himself i think he's gonna be one of the best player uh he's as a person he's good he has enough quality to play with White whitecaps and yes i do enjoy play with him a lot when we play both on the left in the left side, but you know, like sometimes it's depend in which game, depend against who you gonna play, and depend on the staff decided. You know, like sometimes I gonna start like left back, sometimes I start winger. It's everything. It's the uh, staff decided. If they decide I play as a winger, I will play as a winger. But if they prefer Gucci in front, I'm in the back. I will do that. I don't mind it as long as I'm in the starting <laughs> eleven.
1: <laughs> That's great. Thanks so much, Ali. Ali Adnan there it would be great I think for everything that the country's gone through if Iraq can make it to the World Cup if Ali's leading them out if he's leading them out as a as a white cap all the better as well but of course the it just means they're then called away He's he said he's found it tough with the traveling and trying to balance everything to do with that and playing in, in white caps games and traveling around for MLS it it takes a toll. I mean, it, it's it's brutal stuff in what's already going to be a, a brutal year for all these guys.
3: That's where I think that uh, if they do make the World Cup, I could see Ali trying to get a club somewhere in Europe, so it, it lessens the travel and everything for that uh, World Cup run if he did, they do make it. Yeah, that would definitely
1: make sense. Just now, Iraq's sitting pretty. They're top of their group. They're ahead of Iran. Obviously, Iraq's always got a tough qualification because four teams automatically qualify from Asia and you've got Australia, Korea, Japan that's always pushing for three of those spots. Uh, good luck to Ali and Iraq. Fingers crossed they, they can make it to Qatar. We'll talk a little bit more about international football later on in the show in parts three and four. Just getting back to, to talking white caps, schedule, MLS, stuff like that just now. The logistics for going to Utah, I don't think a lot of fans are, are fully appreciating what the Whitecaps and the, the other Canadian teams as well are, are having to go through just now, because you're looking at moving families down there, some spouses can't go because maybe they can't leave their work, they're not going to get time off, you've got players that's got dogs, That it's like how do you get them across the border, certain sizes can't fly, they have to get driven down, there's people with different ages of kids, you've got childcare, you've got schooling. There's just so many logistics involved in it. I don't envy it as well. I mean, you think it might only be for three months. The amount of work that the clubs had to put in has basically been all hands on deck. And I hope, the, I hope the fans fully appreciate that and give them a little bit of slack, especially if they do get off to a bit of a slow start, because there's just so many things to, to try and just deal with right now. Well, obviously, they didn't have too much to do because Axel didn't hire you. That's true. I, w- I was disappointed. I had my resume already. Now, we're talking about the Whitecaps could be back uh, at BC Place in the summer. We don't know, though, when fans will be, be coming back into the, into the matches. Will we see them at all this season? It's a big stadium. We've talked before that y- you do have the chance to space fans out but is it financially worthwhile them doing that because of all the other costs involved? Now, I've been in a few conference calls with, with different teams this week, last week, and so many of them are, are talking about getting fans back into the stadium. And just hearing it, it, it just adds to the, the longing of of just getting back to matches, getting crowds into games. MDS was asked this week if he felt that the club might lose a little bit of connectivity with the fans just because they've been away last year, they're going to be away for most of this year, and they're not going to be in at the games. He doesn't think they will, but I think there's a, there's a real risk of that because once folk have found other ways to occupy their their time, also, if fans can get back to games, it means things have opened up in general. And I'm sure there's a lot of other things that folk are looking to do, especially when the nice weather is going to be here.
3: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, um, like, even what process they're going to take in order to get the fans in there. Like, uh, I think it was just like today or yesterday um, in Barcelona, Spain, they had 5,000 people
1: attend a concert following like same day COVID screenings. I saw that. I was actually watching the boxing tonight as well, it was from Gibraltar. And there was like 500 fans packed into the arena. So then I, I was looking, and Gibraltar, 90% of people there have had their first vaccination. 76 of people have had both vaccinations. Obviously, it's a small country. Smaller country, yeah. But it's like, that's what it's going to take to... To get fans in and sadly we look a long long way away from that right now and
3: and then then you also got to look at uh, well you know for some people are going to take it do are they going to have those like you know uh, vaccine passports uh, that show that yeah. you took your passport in order to attend the scheme so that's that's a lot of logistics that they're going to have to deal with in order and work with the government in order to figure out how when fans will come back and in what numbers
1: that that's been a big talking point in the uk because the UK government seems to be steering towards folk having passports. To even go to the pub, you have to show that you've got a passport, because they feel that will then make folk more inclined to get it if they weren't going to, because they won't be able to go to pubs, they won't be able to go to gigs, go to the theatre, sporting events, everything like that as well. I'm all for it. I know here it might not look like we're going that way, but I I I certainly wouldn't be returning to anything, definitely until I had the first vaccination, I'm kind of airing that I probably wouldn't want to do anything to if I had both, to be totally honest. I don't know about you guys.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. I'll probably.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We've talked about this before on the show about the time away from the stadium has been both a blessing and a curse. It's taken some time away from some of the negative stuff that was going on before. Yeah. So for them, might, that breathing room might, uh, that breath- that breathing room plus people being able to go out and do stuff again. Might be just the thing that the, the ticket reps in the Whitecaps FO are, 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 you know, longing for. Or it could be, like you said, Michael, people have moved on. People care less, uh, whether they were disgruntled before now or not. Um, yeah, people sometimes move on from things. And so uh, there'll, there'll be an uphill battle. And, and again, uh, uh, this will probably sound like or begin to sound like a broken record. But the Vancouver Whitecaps need to come to grips with the idea that it takes less to keep the people you have than to bring in new people. And they
1: need to spend yep. some time focusing on that as an organization. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of it will depend on how the team is performing. Because if you've got a winning team that's doing well at the top of the stand and folk are going to come back. If you already look like you're not going to make the playoffs, that's a tough sell after all yeah. this. Yeah, but
2: I mean, that's one of the problems with the Whitecaps, though, Michael. They're ultimate when you when you talk to when you talk to people in the front office. Uh, one of the big things has been like, oh yeah, just as soon as we 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 start to win a little bit, then everything will get better. Here's the problem though: is they haven't been winning, and and they've they've had a number of problems. I I think what will be interesting to see is what happens when if the white caps do start winning and they still have those problems and they can't use not winning as an excuse anymore. But uh, anyways, you you can't. Your strategy can't be, oh, if, if we win, they'll come. That's not good enough in in, uh, in
1: in sports in North America, in my opinion. Last little bit, I just want to talk about the schedule. So I mentioned there that there's there's going to be lots of Cascadian Cup clashes. The, each team is playing each other three times, so you're going to have nine matches. I don't know if you've heard anything, Zach, about what's happening with the Cascadia Cup this year, points and stuff like that.
2: Well, I haven't heard an official announcement. Last year, the Cascadia Cup Council made an announcement before the season, um, saying that there wasn't going to be a Cascadia Cup because supporters were going to be there. So, yeah, I haven't heard anything
1: yet uh, that's been official. Because Portland's announced uh, that they're letting no, fans in.
2: Yeah. So, but then if the other two, if the other like like Vancouver has to play, uh, Vancouver has to play a game in, in Salt Lake with no fans against Portland in the season. So it would kind of be awkward if the Cascadia Cup Council this year says, "Oh yeah, because there's going to be fans at some games, or eventually we're going to go ahead." I, I can't see them, unless it's a change of personnel in the council or the council having some good reason to change what they did last year. I can't see them going ahead with it for this year. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Hmm. It's it's a schedule that's very heavy on rivalry games and derby matches and I, I like that I know you can get too much of a good thing and it kind of waters down the, the occasion a little bit when, when you're playing teams three times over the year you might meet them in the playoffs as well but I, I think with fans getting back and I, I think all the American teams are going to have fans in at some various stages over the, the coming weeks and months by by the signs of it they think the best way to cash in on that and to build the excitement and and get folk back is the rivalry games. I mean, you're going to have some teams, like in, in Texas, Dallas and Houston, it's going to be hard to know if it's a normal attendance or if it's COVID restrictions because they don't pack a lot of people in the stadiums at the best of times. But talking of Texas, you've got your three Texan teams in it this year. Austin joining the league. There's going to be nine Texan derbies, as well as these nine Cascadian Cup clashes. So, I mean, that's an exciting and a strange time, really, for for Austin to 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 come into the league. And I jumped on a couple of calls uh, with some of the guys at Austin this week. And I just want to play a little bit of audio just now, where I, I asked their vice president and general manager, Claudio Arena, who, who's been through an expansion team before in New York City FC. He's had the derby in New York. Now he's got this to look forward to. He's a guy that, that's played for Rangers, had the derbies with Celtic. He's played for Sunderland, had the derbies with Newcastle. He's played in the Man United and Man City derby as well. So this is a guy that knows a lot about derbies. So I just wanted to see how excited he was for the schedule and these Texan derbies that his team are going to have this season. Just wanted to to go back to the schedule There's six big Texan derbies coming up for you Played over what I'm sure is going to be A very intense three month period You've obviously had a, a lot Of experience in derbies In your playing career, especially in the UK And like with with New York, you you've had the New York derby Can you talk a little bit about what you're Looking forward from those matches In particular, the kind of interstate Rivalry, everything like that
5: yeah, they're special games, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, we've, we're now the third team in Texas. And, um, you know, the, the away supporters can travel much easier than the games you have to fly to. So it creates a unique atmosphere of both home and away. Um, there's just that, that rivalry for every year that who's, you know, between each city and, and amongst the three teams in the state. You know, with Texas and California now, are the only teams with, with three MLS teams in, in the state it's it's special so it's not just a a rivalry amongst two teams but it's amongst three teams and uh they're special there's no doubt about it there's always an extra intensity and bragging rights and um you know and wanting to you know make sure we get uh good results and good performances and uh it's 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 an added um you know bonus to the league to continue to create these rivalries so you know, I look forward to them. They're, you know, our supporters, I'm sure, are going to be excited. Um, there's always a little extra noise, a little, um, you know, the game's played a little bit higher the speed. You know, the tackle's flying a little bit harder. The goals are celebrated a little bit more more uh, wildly. And that's just the way it is. And that's what, you know, these rivalries and derbies are all about. And, uh, you know, we've experienced them even in, in the academy. And uh, we just talked about the academy and those games you know, mean a little bit more to our players already. And so that's special. And I think it, it just naturally, you know, uh, ultimately for the bigger picture, you help develop, uh, you know, more better players in our country. And, uh, you know, I was able to experience it as a player and, and and also now in my role as sporting director. And there's no doubt about it that you, you feel, you feel something different the weeks uh, and days leading up to those games. And, we're going to have, uh, you know, four times where we play uh, six times where we play both, uh, you know, Dallas and Houston three times each. And uh, we can't wait. We can't wait for it and again the, the the supporters being able to travel. I think that really is sort of the icing on the cake to be able to have that that atmosphere within the stadium.
1: Claudia Arena there talking about the Texan derbies and f- for everything that's happened with Austin and how they got the the spot in the league and everything like that I- I'm excited to see what they do I've been on a few calls with them and they they've- they're doing some good stuff there I-, I really like a lot of this stuff and hopefully the rivalries will get more eyes on the league now Claudio talked there about the fact that they're going to be able to have traveling supporters going back and forward because it's Texas uh It's like anything goes down there just now. So that's just going to add to the atmosphere. These are the games that's going to be televised on TV as well. Because we talked about fans returning to the stadium. With America opening up by the hope in full by the 4th of July, you're then going to have people that, like I said, not wanting to go at games uh, because they've got other things to do. You're not going to have people wanting to sit at home and watch games on TV either. So how do you get eyes on your product on the telly having these rivalry games is surely a, a good place to start with that for sure and you you got to make it more mobile too people can watch it on yep. the go
3: instead of being stuck to the television at home uh, or even the stadium so it's just a matter of uh, putting in the right spots um are there like uh just a quick question is there Nine Californian games too. Do they have three against each other as well? I haven't looked at that, but I would imagine
1: they will have. Yeah. yeah so you're
3: gonna have nine games there, even though LAFC and San Jose really don't have that much of a rivalry. It's more of a between the rivalry between Galaxy and them. Yeah. Right?
1: P- poor San Jose, the the White Caps of California. Anyway that, that is it for this part of the show. We're gonna be back talking more White Caps though, after this. Hi,
4: I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
7: So sexy Russian girl,
4: bring me my fur coat, dance ball, drink, shot, fireball, drink, it ball. Dance
7: all the night, guys, go to paradise. Absolute garbage, Russian patinka, mass.
1: Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio. And kicking off this part, it's the final song, sadly, from this month's Artist of the Month, Russian hard-based techno band DLB, although this is a collaboration song that they did with DJ Blatman, who we played on the last show as well. That was a song from last year called Kamaz. I hope you've enjoyed our selection of songs from DLB, and in fact our whole Russian music selection that we've been playing this month. We do have one more Russian song to come, that's going to kick off part three, it's a, another strange band that i found myself getting into the last couple of weeks as I've had this deep dive into the Russian music scene, but we also have a Canadian band later in the show as well, so stay tuned for that one. But we're going to continue our Whitecaps chat in this part and just some other news from the week. Because there's been a few things to talk about. The, the Whitecaps played their first ever match against Pacific FC. It was on Friday at the Whitecaps training centre, pre-season friendly. First of four friendlies that they're they're going to have uh, over the, the next month ahead of the season. Won the game 2-0 by all accounts. It was a closed-door thing. I happened to be up at UBC on Friday, so I was curious to see if they were actually on the closed pitch or in one of the open pitches. Sadly, it was the closed pitch, so I didn't really get to to see anything. But yeah, they they finally do have some friendlies lined up when they're down in Utah, and they're certainly going to need it because they, they need to get those games under the belt, get some of the guys up and running. They're going to be doing it, though, without Jasser Kamiri. We talked about the Texan teams in MLS in the last part. He's gone at the Texan team that's in USL, San Antonio, loaned for the season. And I think that's a a win-win for everyone. He needs to get back playing. He needs to show that he's recovered from this knee injury. He needs to show that he has what it takes to cut it in North America. I'm glad to see him have this loan deal. I was going to say I'm glad to see him gone. That sounds horrible. I'm glad to see that he's got this loan deal to try and and show what he he can be. He needs a place with easier restrictions for being in public (laughs) places. Yeah, he might be able to find a few pickup games down there. Who who knows? Uh, Uh,
3: Yeah, I I think it's a good move for him. Uh, You're right. He's been struggling with injuries and inconsistency. Um, He's he's shown small flashes, but they are not been Something that you can write home about at all. Uh, I I think that I, I, while it's good for him to get a loan and everything, I don't see his future in Vancouver unless he uh, completely turns it around. It shows exactly what uh, Desanto saw him when he was in Tunisia.
2: Yeah, yeah, he, he, uh, yeah. I, I haven't asked Mark about his, if he's still as high on him as he was before, but yeah, you're right, Michael. He needs to go and uh, he needs to go and prove prove himself. And also, this has got to be one of the ways that they knew that they were gonna. Uh, untie a tied up international yeah.
1: roster right? yeah absolutely so now now they're fine they still need to find one if they bring in a, a number 10 that is an international player so they're fine <laughs> is, is Brown gone on loan for sure no Brett Brown's at the moment not going anywhere Brown's one of the internationals, so I, I guess they might want to have a look at him, and then if they feel he's not going to get the playing time, Blown him halfway uh, through the year, yeah. I mean, they can easily do that as well. With Jasser, MDS was asked about Jasser this week, and he he did say that the Whitecaps they took a gamble on him because no other club wanted to take a gamble because of the injury, so they did, and it backfired on them, obviously. But he he has shown flashes, as as you said, Steve. That debut against LA Galaxy, he was Markin's Latin. He did well. And I think it was 19 clearances he, he had in, in that game as well. He looked good when he partnered Andy Rose as well down against LA in, in the second game of, of last season. So there has been flashes there. He just needs a run. He needs to stay healthy. And like, even if the Whitecaps don't bring him back, if he proves himself in USL, they can sell him on. He's the most expensive centre-back in USL for the season. And I think he's the fifth most expensive player in all of USL for the season as well. So there's pressure on him to perform. But, I mean, fingers crossed, San Antonio's a good team. So I I wish him well. Hopefully we see the best of him. And if he comes back, the player that I had high hopes for as well from watching him at training, then all the better. What that does mean, though, is there's one less player on the squad. We talked in the last part that... There's going to be so many players missing on international duty over the summer. Squad depth its going to be tested more probably than any other season, maybe even more than than last year, you could even say. The, the Caps, I feel, have to have two good options for each position. Now, do we have that? I think we're looking fairly good. Goalkeeper, obviously three quality goalkeepers no concerns there at all defensively on the whole, i think we're looking good because we've got two right backs we've got Gaspar and Nerwinski battling for those spots and they're both going to get a, a lot of playing time i feel ali adnan christian gutierrez on the left side you've got javane brown that can play center back he can also play at right back right back is his main position you've got andy rose that can slot back into center back and then you've got, like, Ranko, Cornelius, who's been doing well with the, the under-23s down in Mexico with Canada. And, of course, Eric Godoy as well. So I think defensively, guys, we're we're pretty set there. We've got at least two, two people at each position.
3: Yeah, and uh, that and that's what you're looking for, especially in a year like this. Um, you'll have, like you said, international call-ups. You'll have injuries. Uh, hopefully not, but you could potentially have COVID positives as well where you're putting your people off. Um, of course, you know it didn't really hurt Colorado last year for those things, um, but uh, you you got to got, got the backline covered. I think midfield is good. I think you got uh, decent depth. Uh, obviously, you want the guys, the number one guys on the field is most of the time, but yeah. uh, you have decent depth of coverage in board, uh, winger, striker. Everything's a lot of covered. What's your
1: thoughts, Zach, defensively?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's options. Um, it looks like they're playing, you know, a flat back four and you're right. They have two players that can play every position there. So I think it's, it's not too bad again, though. I think the defense is going to be, I think, hugely impacted by how center we've talked about the slots. Steve has talked yeah. about, this, about what happens in center midfield. Um, the center midfield is, is the key to the key to most football matches uh, and teams and the white caps need, need vast improvements there defensively and in attack and so um it's hard well, especially
1: if you've got your full backs that's tearing forward yeah. as well you need somebody there to to go back well like looking at, at dm like dm and cm i do think we're we're pretty covered though because you you've got baldy you've got tybert you've got andy rose you've got abuso you've got bakel so that's five players but it's whether they can be the players that we need in those positions, whether they can have the consistency, whether they can do what you're saying and help out the defense.
2: I think, I think Mark DeSantos has shaped this team to have, to have, to have the depth he wants uh, and to have the battling for places he wants, except for in going forward. He has people that he'll shoehorn into that kind of role uh, or, you know, uh, but they don't have that real creative presence in, in centre midfield, so they're going to have to get it from someone who's going box to box or someone who's playing a double pivot and, you know, uh, sometimes playing further back and sometimes pushing further forward. Um, and that's And that's where this roster-building exercise is, is, you know, is a bit,
1: falls a bit flat. The, the defence the last couple of seasons is, has been a big weak point, obviously, of the team, And like we're saying that on paper, everything is looking a a, a bit better, or at least looking stronger. I got a chance to to speak to Jake Nowinski this week. So I'll play you that audio just now. He's obviously got a a big battle on his hands with with Bruno Gaspar. He feels it's going to push him to, to be the best that he can be. Let's hear a little bit just now from Jake. You've got a few weeks pre-season now under your belt. It's a weird couple of weeks, I guess, because half the team's not there. How has it felt out there? And is it tough to work and stuff with so many guys being away?
8: Yeah, you know, it's been a pretty interesting pre-season. I think as of right now, we have seven first-team players in training. Um, We have a lot of, you know, U23s, U19s, even U17 guys coming into training. So um, it's been a bit different. Um, I'm looking forward to you know having the whole full squad, but uh, you know this is a time for us to be to, us to get ready. You know it's that kind of simple. We're getting you know our fitness back. We're getting back into you know the run of games and stuff like that. So I'm just kind of taking it as getting myself as ready as possible for the first game.
1: You've got uh, a new guy in the squad, Bruno Gaspar, right back. He's going to obviously you and him's going to push each other this season to. To, to get as many minutes as possible. What are you looking forward to about that challenge? And what do you feel that having him here can push you to do, to take you to the next level?
8: Yeah, you know, I, I know that he's um, a very experienced player. He's played in the top leagues in the world. Um, I'm excited for the competition. I think that I always, you know, I up my game when I have competition. I've I've done that. I've proved that throughout my career so far, whenever I have had competition. So, I think that, you know, just kind of having him here will push me even further to, you know, I'll push him. So hopefully we can kind of get
5: the best of each other out of
1: it. This season, obviously you're going down to, to Utah. It's a bit different to to last year in, in Portland. You've got the altitude aspect of everything. What are you expecting down there? I've spoken to some guys that that's played for RSL and Colorado in, in the past, some Scottish guys that, that I know that's played there. And they've said that they've never been fitter than when they were playing there under the altitude. It, is that what you're kind of expecting this team to be like?
8: Yeah, I mean, I know every time I go and play there, the first first half, I'm I'm sucking a lot of wind. You know, it's, it's very difficult to play there. So I think, you know, us being there is going to give us an advantage. I think training there every day and playing there, we're definitely going to have an advantage. And we want to be a fit team this year. I know Axel has said that. I know Marcus said that. And that's kind of what we want to put an emphasis on. We want to be this fit team that doesn't stop running, doesn't stop pressing for 90 minutes. So I think, you know, being in altitude, getting used to that, I think it's definitely going to help us.
1: And this year, again, something that's different is you're going to get the chance, we think, because we haven't seen the full schedule yet, but you're going to get the chance to be having a a game against every team in the conference, which you didn't have last year. It was a very tough schedule. You were facing the top teams week in, week out. Are you looking forward to to getting that parity, getting some different games against different teams than, than you had last year?
8: Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think we had one of the hardest schedules last year. You know, playing Portland three times, Seattle. You know, both LA teams. I think that was it was very tough for us. And I think just kind of expanding it to different teams, seeing different faces, you know, on the field. I think it's definitely better. Um, it's it's hard to to play four or five teams over and over again. Um, I know NHL is going through that right now. So I think, you know, being able to expand and play different teams, that's, you know, that's our league and that's what we want to do.
1: Kind of a bit of a fun one to end for me. When this is all over and you can get back to normal life here in Vancouver and going out and about, what's the first thing you're most looking forward to, to do in, in, in the city when things are back to normal?
8: Well, I'd probably say celebrating a win after a game at BC Place. Yeah, just kind of getting the guys together, going out to dinner, celebrate, you know, a good three points. I miss that.
1: Yeah, I think we all do. Thanks so much, yeah. Jake. <laughs> Jake Narwinski there, and he's definitely going to have a, a battle in his hands. I mean, you have to feel Bruno Gaspar is the starter, but MDS was asked about like Jake's future this week, and he he didn't like the question. He because it's like look what, do you expect me to play the same player every single game week in week out i can't do that i need to have depth so i think we're we're going to see some split time be- between jake and gaspar but gaspar surely has to be the the guy that's going to be the, the star yeah
3: yeah and it happens all the time at fifa when i buy a new player they, o- they always come up with the articles that say oh what's out how- here's this guy's future because he used to play there <laughs>
1: No, it it happens all the time. So, oh yeah, uh, I think it's a genuine question to ask. I mean, we've speculated about Jake's future enough over the years. I'm always
3: irritated by uh, coaches or players that who don't like those questions. That's you have to expect. If you're going to make a move for that, you're going to be expected to question uh, about that position. I just love the. I'm just like I really want at some point during this season. Whenever they mention, like, uh, you know, one of those box to box midfielders is to do like a Brad Pitt parody where they go, What's in the backs? What's in the backs?
1: (laughs) Oh, talking to the box to box guys, I missed, I forgot Kyle. I don't know how you could forget him as
3: well. So he's going to be the number one guy on the, on the depth. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, you've got him slotting in as well. So, I mean, that DMCM, again, looks good depth there. The wingers and up front, that is maybe the, the the kind of issues the, the wingers should be good we've got Saicedo, we've got Dahomey we've got I know, Bears kind of playing more as a striker but you can have him out wide you can have Ricketts out wide you can push Ali up and have Gooty in a, as left back Ryan Raposo. so I mean there there's some good options there up front there's Cava there's Bear Ricketts Egbo but you could find out that like worst case scenario for the Whitecaps, it's a Gold Cup squad that isn't featuring like Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies up front because they've been playing the World Cup qualifiers. So John Herdman decides to rely on the the domestic-based guys. So you could possibly see Kava, Bear and Ricketts all away. Then you're putting, we've talked about this before, everything on David Egbo. Unproven draft pick, high potential. It's a lot to ask of him. So, I think that would be the worst case scenario, and um, the thing that would really hit the Whitecaps hardest in July is if all three of those guys were away, even two of them going away. Which you have no, to feel at least two will be.
3: I think Kava's on the World Cup qualifying team. I, I don't think he's on the the Gold Cup side. If they, if they do the, the split, well, but I the, do see the the, the way I think he's you're been playing, right. maybe not. Uh, no, I, I still think they give him a chance. I think the Ricketts and uh, and and Bear are a good shout. Uh, for me, the the main uh, until they get to number ten, I think the main catalyst in that thing and the main, obviously the main switch from last year to this year will be uh, Diver, the potential Cescido. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the guy who is going to see if we can get him up to that ninety-two as soon as possible. And how, what effect does that have for the Whitecaps this season? On the-
2: well, yeah, you're, I think you're right, though, Steve. I think that D- Diber's role uh, and even where he plays, I think is going to be really influential. And, Michael, if those guys go away, I think you have, you also see, like, Dahomey come in and play centrally as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, there's that. Like, there's a couple of things, just to, to f- finish off this bit. How do the new players settle into the new environment? Now, we saw with Christian Dahomey, and obviously there was issues there because his family weren't here. And that's tough for any guy trying to settle in. But it's like different players find their feet in the league at different times. We've had enough guys over the years that have just never found their feet in the league that, that we've brought in, especially some South American guys. Will Sycero settle? Will Kyle settle in will gaspar settle in you have to hope with gaspar because he's played at a, a really top level that he can the travel isn't going to be as horrendous in the early going for them because they're going to be based out of utah so it's maybe easing them into the league gently but yeah. the other aspect of that as well is you're, you're bringing these guys in and this is something else mds was kind of talking about this week keeping them happy because you're bringing in say gaspar And you might have to have a conversation with him saying, yeah, you've been a regular starter, but I need to kind of maybe limit your playing time. You might just play two thirds of the game. Jake will play the other third of the game just because we have to manage it. Now, some players won't mind that. Some players won't like that. You've also got, like Kyle. Say Kyle doesn't hit the ground running and he loses his spot. He's gone from being a starter and a captain to being in a battle with five, six other guys for for two spots on the field. So again, mentally, how do they adapt with all these things that's getting thrown at them?
3: I think that's the main thing. I think the uh, starting the season in Real Salt Lake will make a big difference because not only are you centrally located in the Western Conference, uh, but you don't have to deal with going through customs, um, the, log, oh, yeah. the log of that and everything. So you're all based in the same country. So it's basically all domestic flights and you're just going from city to city. You could probably even do private planes if you wanted to. Are they yeah. doing private planes? Yeah,
1: it has to be on yeah. charter right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hadn't actually thought of the border stuff. That's a very yeah. good point. It's such a frustrating part of the season because the White Cats have been playing scrimmages with lots of under-17 and under-19 guys. And, I mean, to, to get a win against Pacific... I know it's their, their first time in action as well because they've not been able to train with, with the bare bones that they've had. Cameron Habidala seems to have really stood out so far at training camp. And I mean, we talked last year that he is surely a guy at some point that's going to get an MLS deal. Glass City had tweeted out at the end of the year that he'd heard that he was the next signing that was going to get a homegrown contract as well. Everything that I'm hearing from the training camp everything that you've seen from the little videos he definitely looks like the the guy that's going to make the jump and then he's another guy that that's pushing for midfield minutes oh for don't sure. forget uh, patrick Metcalf as well who's who's done yeah. well down with canada yeah i
3: think all they are all good shouts and i think cameron Hubbard, well i think he's he's been on the their radar for a bit now um they, they were high on him even when he was like at Age of uh,
1: fifteen or something in the U. Yeah, because I think you had him really high in your yeah. list back in about twenty eighteen or something.
3: Yeah, so they, they they've always had an eye on him, and I think he's always shown those special skills, basically. And they just want him to have an all around game. So once they once he you know he might be showing that now, and that's probably why they're even even getting closer to signing him in a contract.
2: It, when you talk about the, the depth and you talk about the, the cohesiveness and going to Salt lake and all that one hopefully being away together can can be a bonding thing but one of the things that we've, we have talked about in previous shows that'll be interesting to see is how does the fact that some of the players have been in these different Canada camps like impact them in a positive way like they will yeah. be more match match fit uh, some of them are um how should we say it nicely? Uh, getting the the rust off their boots, <laughs> um, uh, I think that that can can play a meaningful role in this in this Whitecaps early season as well. That we won't know until we look back after a month or two or maybe even more.
1: Yep, the first month's going to be tough. You just want everything to get started now, but obviously, I mean, it's just still quite a few weeks away. We're going to talk about Canada in the next part, and uh, I actually had a chat with Sam Piet today. I asked him about switching the mindset from club to country to club to country constantly so we'll, we'll we'll play that audio in in the next part but that is it talking about whitecaps and mls we're just going to finish off this part we're going to bring you this week's wavelength that a little bit early so not only was it the final song from our artist of the month it's also the final song for football violence awareness month it's always a, a sad time when we we wrap that up but a couple of shows ago we we had the four skins so I thought what other band could follow that? So we've got the gonads for you this week with a song from 1984. This is Tucker's Rockers Ain't No Suckers. Boy.
7: Men of iron, men of muckers, the real red army, truckers, rackers Truckers, rackers, ain't no suckers Truckers, rackers, ain't no suckers Show <laughs> on boys, we stand together, ain't no ending to our table. West Side boys, they run like fury when they see us leave the brewery Rockers, rockers, of suckers, Sockers, rockers, ain't no suckers Suckers, rockers, ain't no suckers In the waters, in the Fox and the land In every pub, there's children's ground We stand firm, we stand proud All us here, who needs a crowd Sockers, rockers, Suckers, Sockers, rockers, ain't no suckers Suckers, rockers, ain't no suckers Always in red and white Never run from a fight Always pissed and never sober We're the greatest No push over Suckers, rockers, ain't no suckers Suckers, rockers, ain't no suckers Suckers, rockers, ain't no no suckers No suckers No suckers
1: the gonads there big ballsy band from 1984 tucker's rockers ain't no suckers that was football violence awareness month it'll be back soon but not soon enough or maybe too soon if you don't like those kind of music but we're going to be turning our attention away from the whitecaps and mls now for the final parts of our show we're going to be looking at the international stage canada world cup qualifiers olympic qualifiers Feast of football, so much fantastic stuff to chat about and some not fantastic stuff too. And we'll be back with that after this.
9: Hi, I'm Afonso Davies and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
8: Yes, I live via Close Пусть все горит, пусть все горит, на меня смотрит вся Россия. Пусть все горит, пусть все горит, я заливаю глаза керосином. Пусть все горит, пусть все горит, на меня
7: смотрит вся Россия. Пусть все горит, пусть все горит, я теперь готова к весеннему наследию. Я сидел свой срок в интернете, выхожу на улицу глазить кота, а его пет.
1: Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our last song that we're going to play you for a while from a Russian band. Unless you really, really want more and you can let me know and I'll I'll play that. It's from 2018. It's another band we haven't played on the show before, but I kind of really got into them over the last couple of weeks as I went into this deep dive in Russian music. Fascinating bam. They're they're called Ice Peak. Started off in twenty thirteen. Initially their songs were in English, and then just in later years, I think from twenty seventeen onwards, they've kinda started singing in their native Russian. Their videos are very art housey. So if you kinda like that kind of dramatic, unusual videos, I would check them out on YouTube. They're called Ice Peak and it's spelled IC3 P-E-A-K, that's from their 2018 album Fairy Tale, and that was Death No More. They're very gothy, kind of ethereal sound to them. Little bits remind me of, of kind of stuff like All About Eve, Cocktail Twins, just a very unique style all around. Some very provocative imagery in their videos, some very provocative lyrics. For example... That song there, Death No More. The chorus and how it starts off, the lyrics are... I fill my eyes with kerosene, let it all burn, let it all burn. All of Russia is watching me, let it all burn, let it all burn. Got to say, right up my street, takes me back to my goth club days. Something a little bit different. And if you check out their videos on YouTube, I think you'll agree they are certainly a very different band. They've been one of those Russian bands that's had some of their concerts clamped down and shut down just because they identify themselves in something called Witchcore, which is kind of like a musical genre that portrays images that is kind of frowned upon in some sections of Russian society. Very interesting band. Have a read about them on Wikipedia. Check out their stuff on YouTube. Hopefully you'll enjoy them as much as I have. So let's get back talking about the football chat now and we're turning our attention to the international stage because it's been a busy couple of days for canada there's been some good there's been some not so good so i thought how will we do this Will will we start with the bad stuff and then finish with a bang no i like to send our listeners home feeling kind of fed up about things so we're going to start with the positive and then end with the negative so in this part we're going to be looking at the senior men's national team the World Cup qualifiers, and they've got off to an absolutely flying start. Six points out of six, only really to, to be expected, I, I would say. Comfortable 5-1 win against Bermuda to, to kick things off at the end of last week. A Kyle Larne hat-trick, three assists from Fonzie. A first goal with basically his first touch as a Canadian for their new international, Theo Corbineau. It's a little sloppy at the, at the back for a goal but I mean all around it was a it was a decent performance guys. Yeah 100%
3: uh it's it's exactly what they needed to do. Um the thing is I'm always wondering about these like playing against these lesser opponents that or you know lesser talented opponents do you, do you go full out or I guess I guess that's the way Herdman's going to deal with it obviously um the more recent game shows that especially uh, but they're they're going to go all out and, and try to score as many goals as possible.
2: There's so many games that they're all blending together a little bit for me, but they're going to be absolutely frustrated from Herdman down through the squad, and especially Milan and Borian are going to be absolutely frustrated about that goal they gave up. Like that should never happen. But you also hope those things happen occasionally in World Cup qualifying, and hopefully they they got it out of their system. Um, But uh, in terms of going all out, I think you have to go all out. I think you, you, you need to go out. You need to, um, like, try your, try your hardest. And I think they, think they did that in the, in the first
1: game, and then, they did in the second game especially as well. But yeah. Well, there's little wiggle room because if you lose one of these games, if there's a huge shock, and it would, it would be a huge shock if Canada didn't win all four of those. John Herdman keeps referring to these games as being on death ground, that if you if you drop points or you lose, then that, that's you basically dead in your hopes for World Cup qualifying. So I mean, maybe they've needed that. But I mean, t- today's game, I'm recording this, this bit of the this show on Monday, the delayed game, because of the delayed COVID test results, which there didn't seem to be any positive test results, it's just the, the results had come back, but a record-breaking... 11-0 win over the Cayman Islands. Frank Sturing started things off in the 6th minute, then Kyle Lahren, my fellow Scott. Wotherspoon got on the score sheet, good old Spoonie. Fonzie with a penalty, Mark Anthony Kay, Alistair Johnson, 6-0 at half-time. Second half continued in much the same vein, Kay got his second, Kava came on, got a goal in the 68th, then Fonzie got a goal in the 73rd, that really should have been Marc-Anthony Kay's hat-trick, but great stuff by the goalkeeper, who I felt really sorry for in this one, he did the best that he could, then Kava completed his hat-trick, 74th, 76th minute, 9 minute hat-trick, I wanted to ask him after the game, but he wasn't put up to talk. Has he used all his goals up for the year? Should we be concerned? Because he had a little bit of a howler against Bermuda. Let's be honest. He was not at his sharpest. No. But hat-trick today, I know maybe most of us could have scored two of those goals. The diamond header was good. Yeah, yeah.
3: It was, this game was good. Um, I, I, I found it, uh, at one point, they said that the starting lineup coming into this had scored 17 goals combined internationally. And I think the starters... Ended up after this game scoring eight uh, on their own, so it's basically gone from seventeen to twenty-five in one game. Uh, but again, they had to go out. They they played the opponent. The goalkeeper for Cayman Islands probably got the most airtime for the highlights on their team, so it's good for him there. Um, uh, but overall, I was I was surprised about it um, that it, it got to eleven. I thought they would. I, I honestly did think after. Halftime, they might take it a little bit easy, but no, they're not going to do that. No, and they, I don't they blame. Put, they I don't. The record, yeah. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, yeah I, but I don't blame them. For, yeah, I don't blame them for going for it either, because you like, if you let that's the thing. If you, there, it's double edged sword. You can either think it's going to get too easy and you just coke, uh, coast on that, or you don't put the full effort and then you get lazy in the games that that you're not sharp or something like that. So it's, you have to go for it, I guess, in this case, and just keep scoring because you're playing the ponies. You're playing. You can't you can't do anything with that.
2: Yeah, it it was I was happy for the game today. It was fun. It was enjoyable. The kids were cheering on the goals here at the house. Uh, you know, calling for more and more and more. Um, God, but, that
1: a scene from Oliver?
2: So you know, it was it was it was great to see. Yeah, disappointed for Mark Anthony K that he didn't get his hat yeah. trick. Especially the, the penalty was not well taken. The rebound was maybe a little bit
1: uh, more fortunate that he missed, but the penalty was not well taken. Honestly, um, buried the second rebound, lovely there. Yeah,
2: yeah, Cavallini. I think it, this was good for him. Uh, again, hopefully, good for Vancouver that he he got in and got uh, some of that uh, Bermuda rust off him and was able to go in and uh, score uh, the way he did. Like you said, Michael, this, some of them were maybe a little more simple, but the diving header was really, really nice. So that, that's good he, for him. He did again, miss
1: a couple of other good opportunities, though, as well.
2: But that's—I mean, if you—if if you score three, then maybe it, it, it's—I mean, if it was—if he had not scored and missed like that, that especially that one or two, um, Ooh, then yeah. it, that'd be a different to kind of talking point.
1: I—I'll I, I, take him having five good chances for the Whitecaps and burying three of them in every yeah, game. Exactly. I mean, you know,
3: and the thing is, is some of these guys—even I think Kyle Larry's goal, if I'm not mistaken—I think they were so shocked, they were so wide open that they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And and I, I felt like they, they 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 had to take a second a second to breathe or something like that because they, they didn't realize how like free they were from taking the shot. They're not used to that. Their marking is so much different in other games.
2: Also, massive clean sheet for Mexican cripple. Oh, so, well so first World Cup qualifier?
1: So he he probably didn't get the workout that <laughs> Um Well, that was, no, he he definitely didn't because the Cayman Islands didn't register a single shot in the whole game. Which is like
3: how many did Canada have? Forty-four. 44. So that's a seventy-five percent save percentage for the keeper, which is
1: not bad. Well, they went all on target. They only oh, okay. had gotcha. they had sixteen okay, on target. <laughs> they okay, had sixteen on target, and he let in in. <laughs> Yeah,
3: percentage goes down a little bit then.
2: But no, I'm glad. I'm glad they went for. It. I'm glad. I'm. 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 Yeah. I'm glad. This is this is competitive international football. This is not you know some you know. Kids' league or something where it's like, oh, let's maybe lay off a bit. Like you need, this you need to do this uh, in games like this.
3: Well, it, it is clear that the Cayman Island money has not gone into, uh you know, development of the, of the sport there.
1: No, but it was it was a, a record breaking win. You can take that to the bank, just as long as it is an offshore account. It was good to see them go for it, but at the same time, I mean, how much you can only beat the team that's in front of you, but how much can you actually take fr- from these games? I mean, does it do much for, for Canada? Maybe it gets a little bit of chemistry going.
2: Yeah. Chem- chemistry and confidence. And probably, probably more the latter than the former. Like you, you, like even just talking about Cabo, like, I know we're joking and stuff, but like, if you're, if you're Mark DeSantis, you like, you're like, okay, hopefully he's hitting stride. He's, he's finding the back of the net in a competitive match. Like that's, Again, I, he's going to be ahead of some of his uh, some of his teammates when he gets into camp, right? Like this, this is a good thing. And so I think for I think for this group of Canadian players, building confidence is really really important. And uh, Herdman is a bit of a master at that, right? Like the whole oh, yeah. getting getting the players in the right headspace, uh, making them believe that they can achieve what he wants them to, what they want to. Um, so I, this I think created a number of reference points for him to point back to for a, a number of these players, if not the the whole the team
1: as a whole. I've got a, a Canadian band kicking off the, the last part of this episode. Maybe I might have to change it and go with Finger Eleven instead just to, to pay homage to, to this. Nice. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But we, we talked there a little bit about the game. We talked a little bit about John Herdman. Let's just hear a, a few of his post-game comments
0: The players showed they want to make a statement tonight. But more importantly, it's about preparing for June. And we knew that Suriname had had slipped up a little bit against the Caymans with only three goals. And we we wanted to make sure that, you know, we we can get that sort of six, seven goal difference on them, which gives us more control over our destiny going into the, the June fixture against them. It was critical to play this game. I think the goal difference is it could be a massive factor. We again that Suriname game, you seen that they only came out with three goals, and we looked at that and said, oh, huge opportunity. You know, you go into that game in June now, and potentially only needing a draw to to get into a, an Octagon or an Octagon playoff. I mean, that's that's how serious we were taking this tonight. It was on one side. The group were clear; they wanted to make history, and we've done that. The, the second part was the goal difference for Suriname to make it difficult for them. The the priorities, the World Cup qualification. I mean that that for our country will will change our country forever. You know, we're, we're aware of that opportunity um, that that sits with this group of men and this staff. We that's what we committed to when we took this role on. To you know, raise football in this country through World Cup qualification. Not only the financial windfall that follows that sort of qualification, but how we'll unite a country in a way it's never united before. Well, since 1986. So we we have a, a very laser-focused, clear vision about what's what's important to Canada and how we're going to go about our business in the June-July window. And I think that's, that's why you've seen the January camp this year, the, the March camp, the way the players were were rostered across the Olympics and the, the men's national team. So we, we can see that we've got good depth here and uh, yeah, I think we, we should be able to compete uh, on two fronts in in the summer, given the squad that we have now. Well, I still think we've got to grow together. Um, you know, the, the the type of opponents we've, we've had to play in Nations League. Um, you know, we just haven't had enough consistency against the big teams. And so the, these young men are going to learn on the job. Uh, this team are going to learn on the job. But I keep saying, I think there's, a, there's a, a connection here now where the expectation's high. And when that expectation's high and you've seen a committed mind tonight, which was a collective committed mind, if we can bring that to every game we play. I think we all know the type of damage we can create. It's, uh, we've seen it in October uh, against the USA. There's, it's there, it's there to be seen. So for us, it will be that consistency. And I, and I like the fact we're getting games where we are on death ground. So the US are in playing Northern Ireland or whoever they're, they're playing in, in Europe and they're good games. But for our guys, they're on death ground you know they lose a the game and they're gone that brings a, a level of intensity and again that that camaraderie so there's pressure here and i know people in the media or whatever will be saying oh, a game islands there's still a pressure to that game yeah, it's a different type and and there's uh, that mentality is growing so you know let's let's not all get too excited we're we're still growing as a team there's still a lot of new faces that we're Um, inculcating to this culture and and the tactical framework but um, I believe we've got the ability to get into the octagon and these games I think are going to have provided us with something where we can draw strength from
1: John Herdman there cock a hoop about that record-breaking win and more importantly six points out of six for Canada to kick off their World Cup qualifying campaign, the quest for Qatar now, in these two matches, we saw Fonzie get a lot of playing time. I I did think he might get rested a little bit. I was surprised that that he didn't get get pulled off at half time against the Caymans. But the reason why Fonzie was there and the reason why
2: he played the ninety minutes is he's not playing a competitive match until April tenth.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Cause he's a he's a dirty tackler, Zach. No, it was not dirty. It was mistimed. Okay, I. I I saw nothing wrong with it. If you can go through someone's ankle in modern day football, I don't I don't know what the sport's coming to. But he did play two different positions in these matches. So we saw him in attack. We saw him in defence. That versatility is going to be interesting because depending on the opponent is how you want to utilise him. I mean, we've talked before where we might want to see him. I think the general feeling was he was just going to be in the attack, but the the attacking options just now that forward line is just so incredibly stacked that this just lets you get that other option out there.
3: Yeah, for sure. And the thing is, is I I, I think the if there's somebody really dangerous um, playing against uh, them in in a future game, I think they might bring in like a, a typical left back defensive guy, but. I think if there's a weakness there where he can attack from the left like coming from a deep position, I think they'll play him at left back in those spots. And you're right, the, the uh, who would have guessed that the the attacking spots are the the you know the strength of Canada. Uh I can't remember the last time we had that uh in there at that position. Um yeah, and, so, so and,
1: deep as well. Yeah, deep
2: depth and and quality. Um it, it was good to see him I think play the back with uh, what's his name Ricardo the new together? guy, yeah. Or, uh, and who was the other center back? <laughs> Sterling, oh or right,
3: Sterling. Sturig, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember
2: his name. Raheem Sterling, yeah,
3: him.
1: Raheem Sterling, yeah. <laughs> Frank Sturen, yeah. So Stewart. I think it was
2: the good, Dutchman. Good for the right. It was good for uh, I think Alfonso to to play with some some players back there to build maybe a little bit of chemistry for going forward. Because yeah, I think at some point we're going to see him play left back, right? Oh uh, yeah, Sam... Sam did well in the first game. Sam did well coming on. Sam's a viable option. Gutierrez, I think, is behind Sam, or obviously behind Sam. In yeah. the but um, it's good to know that you can, uh, his versatility is going to be used in the Canadian team. Um, and they may, he got the clean sheet in the back and not when he was playing off
1: the back. Yeah. Like another attacker that, that came in, young Corbinot. Born in Hamilton, he represented Romania at youth level. Pledged to Canada now though, obviously he is now like tied to Canada because he got a goal on his debut with pretty much his first touch. Currently playing at Wolves under 23s. He looks an exciting prospect, another strong recruit to the cause. There's been murmurs on Twitter today that Atiba and Kyle Larne have put a word in about him to Besiktas as well, so... I think they're trying to get everyone, because they put a word in as well about Baldy, they they were saying as well, so it's like, they're trying to get everyone to to Turkey for this, but I mean, he he, he was good, he didn't get on the score sheet today, which might be good to kind of calm the expectations, because if if he'd got the hat-trick today, the the hype around him I think would be through the roof, but he, he looks very, very promising.
3: Yeah, and good attacking skills. He can play in, I think, number of positions um, along the wings and even down the middle is uh, like a, a pseudo number 10 in those positions. So really interesting spot there. Um, the thing is, like I said, like like we said, where do they find the spots for these guys? Because you still yeah. got veterans like Led and Arfield who, who can still play the game. And so where do you put uh, these guys? You don't want to stifle them either, but you still do want to develop them. So... This kind of debut was almost perfect for him. Well, um, you, the like
1: theory. You look at guys that, like David wasn't there, Osorio yeah. wasn't there, Arfield wasn't there. It's There's some big players that just weren't available. Daniil Henry's injured, so he wasn't there. Atiba wasn't there today because he, he flew back. It's a big quandary for Herdman. It's a great one to have. Also, factor in now, you, you've got... I know it's against Cayman Islands, but Kava gets a hat-trick today. And we know what Kava can do for Canada. We've seen it. You've got Kyle Lahren in the best form of his life. And got the hat-trick in that game on Friday. He got another goal today. Uh, just a little bit about Laren. Obviously, he was linked with the Whitecaps. And a couple of times, he was linked to coming back to MLS for the Whitecaps. He had a bit of a, a tough goal when he first went over to Europe, but he, he wanted to stay, he wanted to fight for his place at Besiktas, he wanted to show what he could do, he was confident that he could show what he w- could do, and he's done that this season. A genuine question, would he have developed the way that he's developed this past year if he had come back to MLS in the Whitecaps?
3: Well, it depends on when he came back. Like I, I know there was talk, even like when Carl Robinson was here, that there was talk that Kyle Everett would be an option uh, to come over. I think if he came over at that time, I think he would have developed under the Whitecaps. I think recently, um, boy, we're going to sound like a broken record again. There was no midfield and no service. So I don't think any striker is going to be beneficial in the last few years to being here at the Whitecaps.
2: Yeah, he he was a target for Carl Robinson, is my understanding, uh, or someone they were looking looking at. And um, I I didn't agree with you, Steve. That obviously would have been a better time for him to come here. However, even if he had come then, I don't think he would have developed the way he has. Uh, I think you can't undervalue um, you can't undervalue the the context, the the pressure, the um, the, there's so many intangibles i think about trying to make your breakthrough at, at a club in europe um with players of you know of a of a high of a high caliber and besiktas you talk about the turkish league as a whole maybe is a little bit different but besiktas is a very good club with very good players and uh and even in his time there and so i i don't think he would have i don't think he would have um progressed the way he has had he, had he come to mls whether it be vancouver or anywhere else yeah he already proved in mls that he, he has he has quality he needed a challenge he needed a different environment a different league to uh to stretch him and to grow him and it was hard but he's showing that he's showing his qualities in that in that setting that was initially tough for him to break break into
1: I think there were some clubs that if he'd gone to an MLS he could have developed. If he stayed at Orlando I don't think it would have happened. If he'd come here I don't think the Kyle Lahren that we're seeing today. He has matured a lot though as well. And I would got a chance to, to ask John Herdman just for his thoughts on Kyle Lahren's development in the past year. What he's seen from him, the growth that he's seen. Here's what he had to tell me. I just want to go back to talking about Kyle Lahren for a little bit. You've watched him for a couple of years now. He's had up and downs in in his career, but he's flying just now. And you you saw the confidence in him tonight. What is it that you've seen in him in the last year that seems to have now taken his game to this next level? And I guess just with what you said about Atiba there, is he also going back after this match to Besiktas?
0: So, Kyle, I think there's there's two parts to this. I think the first part is off the field. I mean, Kyle's become a dad of two beautiful... uh, Baby girls, uh, twins, and you know, really settled. You know, in his in his off field, and that, that changes a man. You see a real maturity and a focus. He, he's a lot, lot more chilled out, and I think those sort of moments in people's lives do have an impact and and can really enhance um, or create a foundation. You know, of, of what I've seen that emotional support and. And, and a different purpose, and I think it has translated. And then what I've seen on the field is he's he's been taken out of that focal point. And and again, when I first worked with Kyle in 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 the New Zealand match, like he wanted to live off the front for for ninety minutes as, as an out and out nine, which which is what you know he'd been labelled as. Like he just wanted to come into midfield and find those spaces and beyond beyond the ball, turn facing forward. So I think you know, Besiktas has just given him a a new lease of life. Uh, They've taken that attention away from him. And he's an absolute predator. Like, no one times that run into the box and he just glides when he moves. And he has that ability to finish so many different ways. So what's changed is he's not now the central focus point for two centre-backs. He can really be a ghost and a predator coming into that box. And... You know, that's what we aim to capitalise on tonight as well. Just, you know, learning about what he's done in Besiktas and how, you know, we could bring the best out of him
1: with the tactics today. So John Herdman there, just talking about Kyle Larn's maturity, family man now, settled down, just loving life over in Turkey. And it's like, if you're happy on the pitch, if you're happy off the pitch, I think it it just shows with improved performances. I mean, any other players... You want to make mention of from from these two games, anyone that stood out for you? They covered pretty much it all.
3: I think most of it's covered. I think the obviously, I think because of the so many goals, I think the midfield was a little bit overlooked, but I thought they played really well. Um, I, I, I it's hard to point like, like you said, the only really negative was that one goal against uh Bermuda, and I think, uh, I think that was really the negative, but otherwise, across the whole 11 and whoever came on, they all played. Uh, to what they would expect them to. Hopefully they can even raise that level when they play the tougher opponents.
2: Well, yeah, and they're going to because the players that they're missing, they're the, some of the players that they're missing are going to raise their level. A John yeah. David should raise their level. A Scott Arfield should raise their raise their level. Um, and Yeah, so I, Michael, in terms of who... No, I think everyone who's in this squad has to be proud of, uh, you know, getting six points in World Cup... Quali- to start off World Cup qualifying. Uh, and I think... Everyone who was there, hopefully, will look back on this as a as a fond memory. But hopefully, it won't be just it won't just be like a uh, a, a nice memory from the beginning of a failed World Cup qualifying camping. Hopefully, yes. it'll, be, it'll be hopefully it'll be, people will look back and say this was the starting point of our second qualification for a World Cup. Yeah, Yeah,
3: and, and the thing is, is uh, in past years, I think those previous teams, no offence to them, but I I don't think they would have put up 11 goals or, you know,
1: 16 combined yeah, goals. Yeah, well, that was something I was I, going to say to you because someone tweeted yeah. at me that in years past, we didn't put these numbers past yeah. these minnows. Is it just that the quality is better? Because I also think it's a mindset as well that they've it's, got this hunger and they've got the competition for places that they know I have to go out and start here. Like, look at... I. I know he's my fellow Scott, David Witherspoon. Yeah. He put in a showing today that now makes him hard to drop from that starting team. Because yeah. a goal, three assists, very busy, very dangerous in that first half. Alistair Johnson as well came in, showed what he had to take. a, a Nashville's got a, a, a great guy there.
3: Yeah, I I, I think he put, he's a right back, right? If I'm yeah. not mistaken. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. Like the the thing is is Herman's gonna have to balance like what he saw um in these two games against Minnows to what he's seen in the past from those players that are not there against stronger teams. So he's going to have to balance that out. Um, I definitely think that uh, he played really well, Wetherspoon. Uh, I keep wanting to say Weatherspoon, but it's Wetherspoon. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, the
1: pub in, yeah. in the UK. So, uh, yeah,
3: I I, I I think everybody played well. It's just a matter of balancing what they saw t- in these last two games to what you normally see in, like, kind of shift that to a stronger opponent and see what you could get there.
2: I agree with you, Michael. That it's a number of factors that have that have um, seen these results come to fruition. Like it comes with, yeah, I think the the battle battling for places, I think is playing out in a positive way. Uh, Players knowing that, hey, a couple guys aren't here. I have an opportunity. I need to make make a. I need to. uh, I need to put in a, a good performance to give the coaches difficult decisions. You saw that. I think Herdman and his staff deserve some credit because you're right. We haven't seen quite this ambitious uh, finishing and goal scoring from from previous sides when they played small clubs like this, even at this round of the competition. So um, there's a lot of credit to go around. And again, hopefully this is just the the kicking off point to to what's going to be a memorable campaign.
3: And and the thing is, there is. I I don't want to diminish that there is quality. There is definitely better quality nowadays than there was back then. So I think quality has a big play in it as well.
1: Now, the next games are in June. Hopefully four of them. I can't really see they're they're not unless the wheels really come off. Now, we play Aruba on June 5th. That's... I know you should never write off opposition. That's a comfortable win. It's already... Take that to your offshore bank account as well. Then you've got probably the only tough game of the group. Potentially Suriname on June 8th. Now, they also have six points from their first two games. They just beat the Caymans 3-0, though but then they thrashed Aruba 6-0. They've been, since 2019, they've been adding Dutch-born players because they're allowed to now do that. So much like Canada's gone out there with their recruitment drive to get players in, they're hitting the Dutch guys that's maybe not got a sniff of the Dutch team to, to be able to come in and play for them. That They've got players that's playing at some of the top clubs in Europe players that you might know Kelvin Leardam that's with Inter Miami just now he's on their roster Nigel Hasselbank who you guys might not know but he he's played in the Scottish Premier League for a couple of seasons in the past so they've been adding guys like that the rumors are they're going to be having more guys commit to Suriname as well so come June they could have some stronger players as well are they a threat I, I guess technically they are they have to beat Canada now because of the goal difference. Though. So that was good why they they ran it up today because if we'd just got that 3-0 forfeit, we could have been in a bit of a mess here and we might have had to beat them and a draw would have been good enough for Suriname. But even though they're adding these players, you have to be very comfortable that you're going to get past them.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no excuse. And we'll talk about uh, some of the slip-ups when we come to the U23 team in a, in a moment here. But yeah, I mean, there there is no excuse for Canada not to uh, advance uh, in, the, in the in the first spot in this group. They have to win these games.
3: And the thing is, is the two players you mentioned, Lyudmila and Hasselbank, they're they're basically um, uh, up in the thirty-year-old range. Um, so that will, you know, I'm sure they still have quite a lot an of old game squad. In
1: the, You've got to yeah. you look at the, the roster. There's a lot of old guys. that has got one last hurrah international football.
3: Yeah, so it's it's definitely, the, uh, you know, they're they're a much better team uh, with those guys in the lineup, but I, I don't see them as being a major threat to Canada, especially the way Canada is currently playing right now.
1: So get through these four games, which they should. The expectation has been that Haiti will await in the next round. But let's not bank on that just yet. St. Lucia have pulled out of Group E, so there's only four teams in it now. The the games that's been played in this window, Nicaragua beat both the Turks and the Caicos Islands 7-0, giving them a plus 14 goal difference in that situation. Haiti beat Belize 2-0. But Haiti could face punishment, although the punishment might just be they can't play games in Haiti. After Belize, when they arrived at the airport, they were going from the airport to the hotel, and their bus was held up at gunpoint by a motorcycle gang despite having a police escort so the game that was like will it go ahead will it not go ahead it did go ahead and belize lost 2-0 now i would not be surprised if belize lodged a complaint saying like we could not concentrate because the players were so shaken up it might not come to pass or anything it is concacaf after all but there is a good chance that haiti won't be allowed to play the next couple of games there unless they can guarantee the safety and if you've already got a police escort, I don't quite know how you do guarantee the safety. So that might see both the games, if Canada end up playing Haiti against them in Florida, or it might now give Nicaragua an advantage as well from it be getting through and being the opponents. I think I'd prefer Nicaragua to, to Haiti, but I don't know. Just your, your final thoughts on that?
2: Hey, hey, Canada owes Haiti in football. They They need to play them and beat them, is what I would like to see happen. Um, but yeah, in terms of player safety,
1: uh, yeah, something has to be done about that. Um, Especially if you're trying to convince the European guys to come over. Yeah, yeah, yeah buy him, just you, release and we're going to take him to, to Haiti. No, no, yeah. no, he won't be involved with a motorcycle gang. <laughs> but at least Canada's two games went off without too many hitches. Just a slight delay against the Cayman Islands, but... All things considered, it it was a good couple of days away for these guys to get together, build some chemistry. They're all going to be heading back to their clubs now. And for these games, John Herdman had kind of talked about that he was going to particularly use the European-based players because they'd been playing, been up to speed, things like that. For the MLS guys, especially the the Whitecaps guys that have been involved with the, the senior team, the the three guys: Guti, Crepo, Cavallini. The five guys that have been away with under twenty threes. Hopefully that bodes well for the Whitecaps. We kind of touched on it earlier. Can kind I of get them up to speed? Bit of rust off for for Cava, getting some goals, getting some confidence behind him. The the Whitecaps head off to Utah on Friday. These guys will all stay in the US and then meet up with the group next week. But it is going to be a a little bit hard, you have to feel, with such a busy international schedule this year. You're going to have guys going from club to country to club to country, and it is tough. It's going to be tough to get in the right mindset, you're learning tactics with your club side, how they might want you to play, then you find yourself in the international setup, and they might want you to play a little bit differently. So that there's a lot to kind of balance as a player. There's going to be a lot of games, a lot more games than some of these guys might have been used to for the last couple of years as well. It's going to be a, a tricky balancing act. And that, that was the question I put to one of the MLS guys, CF Montreal, Samuel Piette. Piet played in both these games, making his 50th appearance against Bermuda and then captaining the side against the Cayman Islands. Here's what he had to tell me about getting in the right mindset for both club and country. Hi, Sam. I just want to ask you about balancing like club and, and country and the mindset involved in that. This year, it's an intense year. You're going to be playing so many games for Montreal, so many games for Canada. We've joked with Kava out here in Vancouver that there's a chance he'll play more games for Canada than he he might actually play for, for the Whitecaps. What, what does your mentality need to be like to keep doing that jump from club to country to club to country?
9: Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. It's, um, it's difficult, obviously, because you work on some, some things with your club that when you come to the national team, it's a totally different environment, uh, totally different um, tactics. Um, so no especially this year, uh, where it's a really busy year, I think it's, it's super important, you know, to keep in touch with, um, you know, the guys that you have with the national team, because obviously with my team, you know, you see uh, your teammates, your coaches every day. Uh, But with the national team, it's once every three months, four months. I think this year is going to be every two months or three more or less. Um, So make sure that we have, you know, that um, consistency on either Zoom call with the staff to, you know, make sure we don't forget the tactics um, that we work on. One word, camp. Uh, you know, the relationship that you create with some guys. You know, I've I've met some new guys here in camp um, that I might probably you know see again in June uh, to make sure that I keep this relationship alive and and you know that we're all focused on on the same goal. Uh, but it's it's a really it's a really tough question uh, because it's really it's honestly difficult to. You know, your, your your switch is on for, let's say, for myself, CF Montreal. And you're thinking about the season and you're pushing for playoffs and stuff like that. And then, boom, you have to switch that off, kind of. And then being on a mode where, okay, this is cold cup, cold cup qualification. It's a different um, objective. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's football. Um, I know my role, personally, with the national team. I know my role, or I will know a little bit more for sure uh, in the upcoming weeks um, with CF Montreal. So as long as you know that, as long as you know uh, what your place is in in every team and what role do you have, uh, it's, it's pretty easy to make that switch. Um, But yeah, it's, 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 it's a tricky situation, especially when you just flying in different places with the national team and then you're coming back, us being relocated to to Fort Lauderdale this year. Uh, It's going to be a lot of travel and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, you just want it to perform uh, the best you can for either your country or your club.
1: Samuel Piet there, talking about getting in the right mindset for club and country. But yeah, it's, it's looking good for Canada anyway. Let's finish with that positive for this part, because we've got to look at the downside for Canadian soccer in the next part. That's the under-23 not going to the Olympics. And we'll be back chatting about that after this.
4: Hi, I'm Lucas Cavallini. You're listening to the AFD Soccer Show.
1: Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we've left Russia, we've come back to Canada. I'm sure many people listening to this show think, why don't you play more Canadian music on the show? It's always Scottish bands or English bands or weird European bands. And you're right, we we should probably play a, a few more Canadian artists. We did put a, a call out a few shows back that if there's any Canadian bands listening to this especially Vancouver bands or BC based bands to get in touch would like to feature you as artist of the month maybe have a chat with you on the show etc etc so I did actually kind of stumble across a Canadian band a few weeks ago when I was just playing around and looking for some stuff on band camp and they're a band out of Toronto originally from Charlottetown, P.E.I. They're called Kiwi Junior. They just released their second album in January this year. They've signed to the Sub Pop label, the famous Sub Pop label, and that was a song from that second album. The song's called Made Marion's Toast. The album is called Cooler Returns, and you can buy it on Bandcamp, you can get the CD, it's kind of distributed by Sub Pop, and if you maybe gathered from listening to them there there's a very much pavement feel about the band one of my all time favourite bands they've got an album that came out in 2019 as well called Football Money and if you're thinking, oh is that about American football Canadian CFL football no, the title track is actually about our kind of football and I'm going to feature their song in wavelength next month maybe even next week but overall it's a really good band I've liked what I've heard from them so far very kind of 90s indie jangly pop rock sound to them like that sound they're also apart from Pavement they remind me of another band from the 90s and I cannot place who it is so if you listen to that or you listen to any other, other stuff and you're like oh yeah they do sound a bit like such and such please put me out my misery and let me know they're called Kiwi Junior. Highly recommend checking their stuff out. Support them as well. Buy their stuff. Support local music. Just like you support local soccer and local soccer podcasts. And as I mentioned, we would like to feature more Canadian artists on the show. So if you've any good recommendation for bands as well, let me know those as well on Twitter at AFTN Canada, or send us an email Canada at Hotmail.com. So, for this final part of this episode, we're going to continue talking about the Canadians at the national team level on the international stage, the under-23s, and sadly, they are not going to the Olympics in Tokyo. But neither is the US, so I guess that kind of makes up for it a little bit. Yeah. just a Just a tiny little bit. They couldn't do the job against Honduras in their last group game, setting up the nightmare semi-final against the hosts Mexico, it was always going to be a difficult game. They went down 2-0 in the end. Bad mistake from Pantemis, who had been outstanding throughout the tournament in many ways. His distribution is the thing that had kind of let him down. It's definitely a big thing he's going to need to work on. Ball came back to him. It's the kind of ball it just needs to get kicked into Rosed. Too much fancy play at the back, trying to play at the back. Mexico sees the opportunity of a bad kick out. 1-0. An unfortunate old own goal by Callum Montgomery made it 2-0. When the first goal went in, that the writings were on the wall. We'll, we'll talk about our thoughts about that in a sec. I just want to kick things off with some post-game audio from head coach Mauro Biello. Just talking about how he thought the game went, the tournament, stuff like that.
6: Obviously, a disappointing result tonight uh, you guys looked like you were you were in good shape, and then that mistake by James really kind of turned that game around. just Just your thoughts
1: on the contest
10: yeah, I think uh, you know we had uh, I thought we had the tactics right uh we were frustrating them, not really giving them uh, the chances um, you know it's unfortunate uh, we had to be perfect. you have to be perfect against a team a team like that uh, you know there's there's a lot of good players on that team and and uh, you know, unfortunately, we made that mistake, and uh, it changed the game. Uh, you know, but uh, I think we're we're better. We're a better team after this game. I think uh, you know you always learn and grow from uh, games like this, and I think that's the uh, in in the end, that's the end in mind is 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 how to improve and how to be better. And um, you know, the boys are disappointed, but they put a hell of a shift. A team that was together for maybe six days. A team that uh, you know. Uh, had to come together in such a short period of time and, and perform uh, you know I, I give credit to to a lot of those boys in that dressing room and they're pretty disappointed right now
2: obviously qualifying for the Olympics was the goal, but I'm sure you take some positives uh, away from uh, from the boys' performance at this tournament. Maybe you just talk about what were the positives for you
10: yeah I think there was a lot of positives and uh, you know when i when I think you know, the, the end in mind, for sure, from a performance standpoint, you want to make it to the Olympics. But the end in mind in this program is, is to have an alignment from the men's national team all the way down. And, and for me, it was to build a foundation with the group, uh, you know, and graduate some of these players to move on to the men's national team. And, and I think that's, uh, that's the end in mind with this, uh, with this uh, organization. Um, you know, I think for, for us, yes, we're, we're disappointed. But you know, there's some good players that had some some good performances out there, and you think of a young player, Lucas Diaz, you know, who was in isolation for nine days and and couldn't train and uh, and, and and was able to come into to games off the bench and do well as an 18 year old against a, a, a very good team. So those are those are positives. Davy Norman had a solid uh, solid he had a solid tournament uh, defending. Uh, I thought you know we we did a really good job defending Marcus Godinho and. And uh, you know Zoran Basang had a hell of a task today, also uh, versus a, a top-level player. So when you when you look at that, and, and you, you think of the foundation that's been put in place, and now it's up to these players and their careers. You know, they're to, to continue to push their careers along now when they go back to their clubs, and continue to push to get to that next level. And uh, I, I think they they represented this country with pride. They fought out there. They gave everything. Uh, but unfortunately, it, it was it was uh, we came up short. Um, but there's a lot of positives we could build from.
1: So Mauro Biello there just talking about Canada, not heading to the Olympics. Now, we'll get our thoughts on the game now. I want to start with the tactics because Biello there talked about, he thought it was the perfect tactics. It was the perfect game plan, but for that to work, it had to be perfect. Was it the perfect game plan? Did Canada have the personnel there that could sit back for 90 minutes, not attack, and hold Mexico to a 0-0 draw in the hope of getting to penalties?
2: Well, was Was Derek Cornelius uh,
1: like not fully fit to yeah. play because of what happened in the quarter yeah. game? Montgomery also wasn't fully fit. He was. He still had like issues, but they had no one else right. for centre-back. He was just deemed better to go I- than Cornelius.
2: I think I think that that alone is a, is a concern in terms of if you're if you're planning on you know, parking the bus or playing ultra defensively for for ninety minutes and hoping to nick a goal or take it extra time or, or shoot us or whatever. Um, I don't I don't know if that's the the best tax because you're right it does have to be flawless right, and they weren't flawless.
1: When you when you're playing your fourth game in what eight or nine days or something. Yeah. To expect the guys to put up a defensive showing than that and be perfect and be flawless, it was never going to happen. They didn't really look like threatening Mexico even at all. No, and and the th- but the thing is, is like if if
3: you talk about the you know the four games and um, the majority of coaches that when they're facing a tough team like Mexico uh, would go with that strategy um, because you're playing in Mexico. You're trying to wear them down, trying to get where you could steal a goal. I'm sure they never showed any attack, but I'm sure if they were given, there was an opportunity, they were probably given a green light to attack. Uh, but it had to be the perfect opportunity. And when you, yeah, because you don't want to leave yourself
1: then short at the bat.
3: Yeah. The problem with that, though, is you get uh, the players will get very, uh, they will question when that moment comes. And they might, if they see a moment, they might take too long to question it and that moment's gone. That's the issue with that tactic. Um, so I, it's hard to second guess, be considering, like you said, they had, to, they had one and a half center backs and uh, they had to play a defensive style in order to protect those guys. Um, so it's, it's hard to guess what was their best option, but obviously it didn't work whatever he picked. And I, the thing is for me, I know we were talking about this particular game and you talked about Honduras not getting the ball. For me, it was the game against Haiti. They needed to win that game. That was the game. If they had won that game, they are in the driver's seat. They play the U.S. Who knows what happens? Maybe we lose to the U.S. So you never know. But at least you have a better opportunity of playing somebody that's not in their host nation.
2: I yeah I agree 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 with you, Steve, in terms of the tactics. Like yeah, it, is there a better option? There's probably not a better option, right? Like so, as much as it didn't work, I don't know that there were, there could have been a better option with the players that they had. Um, there's lots I want to say about the about the turn about the tournament. Do you want to get into that now, Michael, or is there?
1: Well, yeah, because I mean, I I described it when we were chatting yesterday as it was a tournament, another tournament of what ifs. And it goes back from what if uh, we had got all the players released that we wanted? What if the guys that were on the senior team had come down to, to be on yeah. this squad? The likes of even like Fonzie, which I Enough. guess you might say it's a different level. You want him and all that. But even like, what if Haiti had had a full strength team against Honduras in that first game? What if we had beat Haiti? It's just all those various what ifs.
2: So, we, we talked about this, for, we've been talking about this for months now. And before, we've talked about this in the previous years, previous cycles, previous opportunities. Th- that is the biggest thing. Like, as much as we just spend however many minutes waxing lyrical about the World Cup qualifying results and how encouraging they are, and, you know, 16 to one over two games, whatever, like whatever, Alfonso Davies, if you put him in this team and maybe one or two others, I can't see them not getting through.
3: Yeah, I agree with that,
2: hundred percent. And, and so, why would you not do that again uh, with Alfonso Davies it, specifically? It was a perfect opportunity to say to uh, someone like Byron, like, "Hey, yeah, we we know that we, we want to use him to make the Olympics. Like, we we, we want we know he can't play till uh, I think it's I mean maybe April April seventh, not April tenth, but um, in the Champions League. But we know he has a big layoff coming up. We want him to play in." three of these four games or whatever. We won't put him in the final if we make the final. We just want to want to get into the Olympics. I'm sure, sh- like, for Bayern, I think it would have been like, hey, he's playing against kids, he's playing against adults. Okay, he's going to play the same number of games, whatever. Like, I'm sure that they would have been fine with it. Assuming
1: Fonzie himself would be fine with it.
2: Which yeah. I, I can't
1: think- surely he would learn more in games like that, especially like a game against Mexico, than he's learned in a game against the Cayman Islands today for his development.
2: Oh, I think it would have been more testing, yeah, yeah. On the whole, for sure. And so it's so frustrating to see this approach continue to be taken. And I don't, I, I want to put all the blame on the CSA, or or maybe even John Herdman, like who I really appreciate. But um, but I'm sure there's a, maybe the players themselves or whatever have have a you know want to be with the World Cup team, whatever. Like, but someone we we often talking about Canadian football, but people or individuals need to step back and do what's best for the football in the country as a whole. And this is one of those situations where I think what would be better for Canada would to be in the Olympics and something could have been done to aid that effort. And it continues not to be done. And I hope they, well, it might not matter next time, but I hope they will revisit their approach because it was not a good one.
3: No. And you can even take Fonzie out of the picture if you want to, but they're looking at some of these other players that could have been down there. You got Kamal Miller. Uh, uh, who could play center back. He would have helped out, especially with the injuries that went down. Oh, yeah. um, um, you got, uh, uh, okay, Theo Carboneau, maybe you wanted to cap him for the uh, the senior team, but you got Jaden Nelson, who could have helped in the attack. Um, and then up front, Leah uh, Miller, who has been capped before, could have gone there. He's only 21. He, he would definitely would have fit in there. And then, you know, and uh, I'll, the other players, I don't want. I'm not sure if they were available or not, because uh, there were are were other players that were uh, called up to the senior team before, and they were like obviously, if Jonathan David had been, that would have opened up another spot for somebody else mm, to that's go down. True. There. So, so th- it's just it's just frustrating um, to know where you know where they could have brought players in, and and where they could have done it. Um, like I wish I owe, uh what. Uh, Akonella, uh, Akonella or whatever. Oh, I wish, yes. I wish he had made a decision to go to Canada. Maybe they could have used him in the other... Uh, did he play for the U.S.? in the? He didn't play for the U.S. either, right? No. At the... the or, no. I think he is injured. Just oh, well, he's there's, injured there's, okay, there's,
1: okay. there's also been the COVID outbreak because yeah. TFC didn't... TFC went releasing any players anyway. Right, And then right, they had right. the COVID outbreak, so they still didn't. But they,
3: they allowed Jaden Nelson to go, though. Yeah. He's
2: a TFC I, again, for me...
1: Jonathan David, if he was available, should have been with the Olympic team.
3: Yeah, yeah. I agree with well, that.
1: Like, even a goalkeeper. This was a debate I saw on Twitter today. Dane St. Clair. Oh, yeah. yeah. The third keeper with the senior team, but he didn't play. So if you're not going to play him... You, you
3: could should have brought Pente- Panteris up here to the senior team and let D- Dane St. Clair go down there. Yeah. That been Although,
1: I mean, I don't want to pile on Pantemis because he had a great tournament. One error... Yeah. I mean, we saw it with the, the U.S. with Ochoa as well. Yeah, you made a mistake. St- it's a position that hangs you out to dry. True, but if St. Clair
3: had a fantastic end of the MLS season where I think he would have been helpful, um, maybe as a veteran at a higher level, that he would have been better. than. And,
2: and all of this is not to knock on the the squad and and, and some of their achievements. In the, oh, in no, because the- they they it's, they played out their skins. Yeah, this is objectively saying, who are better footballers? who Who could have helped the team done better? Yeah. And and the fact that these other players were in the uh uh World Cup World Cup qualifying team shows that they they're viewed as being better. So it's not a knock against against these guys and where they're at in the the depth chart for the Canadian men's national team. It's we want to we want to win. We want to achieve things and qualifying for the Olympics is an achievement for this country.
1: If and, and Canada they- wants to be a powerhouse in CONCACAF, these are the games that you have to win these are the tournaments that you have to be at.
3: Yeah, and the thing is is uh, the like that's why we have a great respect for Adorea Cornelius, who could have probably said, no, I want to go to the senior team only, but he went down to the uh, the U23s. I don't yep. know how much Cap- of a choice he had in there, but
1: he... Yeah, he captained been- them, did well. I'm sure he would have played if he could have as well. La- last little bit on this. What did you think of Biello's tactics overall? Because there's been a lot of criticism for being too negative um, in the matches, and just being too defensive and just not having the ability yeah. to flick that switch they they did place kg at times i don't know if it,
3: maybe it had to do with the four games and so i don't know if that's the reason why he wanted to save himself because they felt like they would make the semifinals and he wanted to save it uh but maybe they expected to be against the us where they could have uh performed a little bit and uh forward motion but so that that's where i think you need to Play your best and get that result, that top spot in their group, and then worry about the semi-final at that point.
1: So one player I do want to to talk about, though, a a standout player, former Whitecap, now with Cavalry, FC and the CPL, David Norman. We know him as a midfielder. He came in and had a, a great showing forced to play center back it's a position we've seen him play a, a couple of times he's kind of played as a as a holding guy in a back three with wfc2 it's not his favorite position it's a position steve's talked about before though that yeah. could be a good position for him he he was like one of the, the canadian players of the tournament for me
3: i agree that and the thing is the, the reason why i mentioned that is because the the way he plays fits the modern way that a lot of people want their centre-backs to play. He can handle the ball, he can tackle, he's physical, he can win balls in the air. That's why I think, I know he wants to be that midfielder, but even for his, like, I'm I'm not putting, like, I don't want to say that you should do this, you should do that. I don't want to put that on anybody. They should do what they want to do. But for a centre-back, centre-back's longevity in, in the sport is longer than what a midfielder is. Like, he can expand his career as well. By playing center back because there's always a need for a solid center back
2: yeah i think david uh did himself did himself proud yeah i was happy for him
1: just watching some of his tackles were just oh was- that that if there was var he would have been sent off against mexico but that was a tackle that was needed because that was going to be a goal <laughs> um and
2: uh yeah no it was just great to great to be able to watch him play again
1: He's uh, he's
3: like 22 or 23, right? Or something like that right now. He's Yeah, he's still he's still got a long I uh, I hope for like that he recognizes that how well he can play a center he's back. 22. And he's
1: just, oh, 22 23 in May. Yeah,
3: yeah, I hope he recognizes how well he played there and and sees that if somebody wants him to play there that he's willing to do it.
1: Cause I'm going to play some audio now from after the game against Mexico where a couple of us asked David about his tournament playing center back. Here's what you had to say about it. Hi, David. Uh, I know you're obviously going to be disappointed after how things played out there, but on a a personal level, the tournament that you've had coming into this after the injuries that that you have had, playing at a position that you haven't played that often in your career, how do you look at the the tournament for you personally?
5: Uh, I think you put a spot on Michael. I think the first thing is disappointment. Um, i don't haven 't really had, had much time to let that sink in yet um, it 's a, a group of boys that are are disappointed um, personally i'm i 'm happy with it with the minutes i 've played uh, we 'll have to look and analyze and um, go from there.
2: Obviously, you were playing centre-back for the entirety of, of, of the tournament. Um, how did you like playing in the role? How, how much comfort do you think you've gained
5: um, playing in that position as the games have, have gone on? Yeah, I've, I've played a lot there in, in training in the last couple of years. These were my first games that I've, I've really played. Um, I enjoy it. I think I have the qualities to, to be a quality centre-back at this level. Um, obviously, there's still a lot I need to learn positionally uh, both in and on possession but uh, I'm, I'm happy with the games I played there and just want to push on from
1: here. So David Norman there saying that he feels he has all the tools to, to be a centre-back at the top level so he certainly seems to be open to that now so it's going to be interesting to see how Cavalry use him this season. Will they use him as a midfielder? Will they use him as a centre-back?
3: Yeah. I, I hope he does it. And then, uh, that way we can see him flourish even more. Cause like I said, you, we talked about it before, especially in MLS, there's such a shortage of centerbacks, uh, quality centerbacks. And I think he can be one for a long time and uh, that'll maybe get him over to Europe and into a, a better position there as well.
2: Yeah. Hoping, uh, that, uh, I'm really excited for this season with him, with Tommy at, at Cavalry and, uh, to see how that, uh, that progresses. Just, Obviously, for him, one of the big things is staying, you know, injury free. Because last year his whole season got wrecked by injury, and so um, yeah, exc- yeah, excited for him. Uh, whether he's playing center back or, or midfield, um, really looking forward to that. One one of the one of the other players who uh, I think is a big standout from this tournament is Tejan Buchanan. I I was uh, looking over the you know ins and outs from the teams uh, transfer and stuff from MLS teams, and I was looking at New England. I was surprised at how many of their kind of former young players that they really admire that they've moved on from. And it's mm. it's interesting because I think Bruce Arena is really gonna be uh giving Tejan quite a quite a, a platform to express himself and to go score goals and set up goals for, for New England this year. And he was obviously, yeah, one of the people who was a big standout in uh in this qualifying as well.
1: He's been linked to to moves to, to Europe as well. So we'll yeah. see what happens there. I actually got a chance to funnily really not. Probably after this tournament though. But I, I got a chance to ask Tejon just about his rise in the last year and how he feels his development has gone, getting those, those minutes with with New England into Canada. Let's hear what he had
9: to say. Uh you know, I just been given my opportunity, you know, play with confidence and uh once you get, you know, a few games under your belt, you know, your confidence is is through the sky and uh, you know, that helps and you know, I always had the support around me uh, to keep pushing and, you know, my coaching staff back, back at New England and my teammates, you know, were huge uh, for me for that. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, playing with confidence and uh, not taking anything for
1: granted. Every time I get on the field, just giving it my all and, and trying to make a difference. So, Tejon John Buchanan there, really looking forward to seeing what he can do in MLS again this season. It feels like a big, big season awaits him. But we'll just finish our chats about the under-23s. Obviously, They're not going to the Olympics. There's now a big gap until they're going to be in action again. So, I mean, what does Canada do to help develop these guys? Do they arrange, like, B-team friendlies to get these guys playing minutes there? How many of them and who would you like to see involved with the Gold Cup squad? I think the two we mentioned, Buchanan and Norman, are two guys that would be good to see on the, the Gold Cup roster. But they've got to get these guys playing at international levels. So I think they have to get friendlies lined up just for these younger guys.
3: Yeah, the thing is, is with the next Olympics in three years instead of four years as it normally would you, you got a lot of like 20 year old and younger players on this team that could go through another cycle. Uh, there's definitely some possibilities. I 100% agree that they need to have some um, be friendlies uh, for these guys even if it's in like a uh, uh, kind of like an a exhibition or behind closed doors kind of games, uh, just to get these guys and even uh, not only friendlies, but get them in camps where the t- U23s that could be for that next Olympic cycle are uh, together in a camp so they get to know each other, they train with each other, so they're ready next time where they can kind of create a formation. And if Bielo is not the coach going forward at the U23s, hire a steady U23. That can move up and down from the national team and kind of be your buffer for the national team and things. So yeah, um, and full I, time, I, not
1: like Christ, yeah. who's doing assistant manager in MLS and full time with the under 23s, because that hasn't the, worked out.
3: The coach can be full-time for sure. Assistants, you can bring in assistance from anywhere, but a coach needs to be full-time.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree in terms of the, the, we're talking about the gold cup that a number of these guys, if 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 Herman's gonna stay with his approach and like save the best players for world cup qualifying and give them a break for the gold cup which again philosophically i I don't fully necessarily agree with but if they're going to do that if they're going to continue to play that out then yeah there there needs to be a number of these u23 guys who make that team and and make the field as well
1: yeah so i just want to finish off with one final piece of audio from john herdman i asked him the other day about Balancing the the squads that's for the the games that's coming up in June, coming up in July. How you get these young guys involved from the other twenty threes? Didn't get the the full answer that that I was hoping for with regard to that. But but here's what he told me. Hey John, uh, just looking ahead to the, the year. I don't want to obviously look too far past Cayman Islands, but it's such a a busy couple of months coming up. It's kind of gone from like famine to feast. Are you going to use the next couple of games just to kind of have a look at some of the guys with a view as who might want to be involved in World Cup qualifying, who you might want involved just in the Gold Cup, stuff like that?
0: Yeah, I think you've raised a good point there. And, you know, this squad was assembled to to really get a sense of some of those players that we, we didn't know so well. The Alistair Johnsons, the Theo um, to Frank Storing. Ricardo Ferreira, you know, these players, we we don't have a, a lot of data on in that red shirt. So the training environment's revealed a lot. And obviously there some of them with those cameo performances showed us some things as well. So coming into this game, I think like you said, right at the beginning, you, you just can't look beyond it. It's, it's, it's so vital to the point, whoever made it at the beginning, that... You know, you, you haven't got room for error. I think it was Derek, like, there isn't room for error here. So you, you just, as a, as a coach, you, you can't be putting that eye too far ahead. But at the same time, you, you've got to understand the opposition in front of you. You've got to know where the players are coming out of that game only two days ago. And those two-day turnarounds, some players cope with them better than others. And I know which players they are and uh, so it's, it's a squad thing. It's, I keep saying this all year, it will be a squad of players that, that gets Canada through this to this tournament and uh, you're right, I think if we're naive enough just uh, to focus on that same 11 consistently, the benefit is there'll be game chemistry and more minutes together but at the same time, you can't always rely on, on these people being available, not in international football. That's, that's certainly what I've learned in the last uh, three years. So the deeper the squad, the better, and the more opportunity people get that will help us in the future. But got to be balanced now with laser-focused on getting us through that, that first goal in this game is crucial. And then making sure that the game's out of sight pretty quickly is, is the next mission
9: in-game.
1: Definitely a lot of decisions ahead for John Herdman. Who does he call up for these Gold Cup games? Who does he call up for the World Cup qualifiers? What under-23 guys are involved? I guess we'll find out in a couple of months' time. Well, that is it. We've talked Whitecaps, we've talked MLS, we've talked Canada. Hope you've enjoyed the show. So we were also going to kind of talk about the whole one-soccer situation, the fact that they've got their rights to all these games, because there's been a, a, a lot of debate about that. But this is already a long show, so we want to delve into that in a bit more detail in a future episode. The pluses, the negatives, everything involved in that. So let us know your thoughts on that. Like, let me know on Twitter at aft in Canada or shoot me an email aft in Canada at Hotmail.com. Did you watch these games? Did you subscribe to One Soccer? If not, why not? And just your thoughts on them having all the rights to this, because they've also got the rights to the CPL, and they've just announced that they're going to have the rights as well to the CONCACAF Champions League this season as well. So there's a lot of content there, but are people prepared to pay for it? Are enough people paying for it? Because with the the kind of spiels that all the presenters are doing to subscribe, etc, etc, it kind of feels that they're not, and they're really needing to push these numbers. But we'll talk about that in a future show. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Just before we go, guys, let everyone know where they can find you online.
3: You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat.
2: I'll be back on Twitter in the next week or so.
1: You can find me there at ZacharyAM. You can find me on Twitter at AFTNCanada. You can probably also find me checking out what websites are going to have cheap chocolate after the the Easter weekend as well. Can't get enough of that. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. And please give us a subscribe on our YouTube channel. We need to get those numbers up. We're going to have some fun stuff coming out next month on YouTube. So like, subscribe, thumbs up, all that stuff. YouTube.com backslash AFTNCanada. But that is it for this week's show. We will be back soon. Until then, thanks for listening, take care, and allez la rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget.
0: The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always
6: look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.